to be we're going to be getting rid of Twitch here soon. So that's that's funny. It seems that the opposite normally. Everyone's moving to Twitch from YouTube streaming. We get we have so many people that watch us on Twitch or on mm -hmm. on YouTube, and we get nothing. I have like two followers on Twitch, uh, and we're like, oh, maybe we should start doing video games. Then it was like, no, because if someone searches for the company for three D printing and they find our Twitch channel before they find our website, oh weird. <laughs> that may not be a great representation of what we do. Yeah, no, not so much. So what's well, like? What was it? I think it was like Zach Friedman had switched from doing like yep. YouTube to Twitch. And I was like, why? I don't. Uh, I, I don't spoke to it. Zach about this. Zach and I are friends. Um, okay. And uh, he's like, it, for what people want, Twitch mm -hmm. makes more sense, right? Twitch is where you want to watch people, you want to hang out and all that, where oh, YouTube okay. is more of that shorter form content. And the <laughs> amount of editing, like if you watch his videos, you know that that guy is doing editing all the time yeah um, it is it is crazy how much editing he does yeah and, for sure uh, and i respect that because i know the amount of work that goes into it but for twitch it's just like no there isn't any editing it's rapid fire things happen the way they do and it is what it is if i was ever to do like video content like that it would have to i think be live or basically completely unedited because i i cannot you know bother myself to do any of that this is why we do it live and speaking yeah of twitch, for sure we are live uh, this Sweet. is the Making Awesome Podcast Season 2, Episode 14, and we've got the maker extraordinaire. You are a maker, engineer, and an artist. We got Adam, and I might butcher the last name, so go ahead and tell us who you are, where you're from, what you did, and as long as you love me, give us the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> uh, it is Adam Hiley, uh, okay. as my high school teacher used to say, highly unlikely. Um, it was her way of remembering it. It's a really um, good brand name, though. Yeah, no, I liked it. I mean, I'm always kind of been a weird dude, so highly unlikely was was fitting for me. Uh, but yeah, um, as as you led into, I, I do a lot of things. Um, I've been in the open source world for quite a while. Um, really starting back in college because uh, I got big into open source software back then, but then also went into open source hardware in. 2008 nine somewhere around there that's when it started to get popular <laughs> yeah the, the, it's it's really funny looking back because like well i wouldn't give up my childhood of the 80s for anything i'm still a little bit jealous of children of today who got to grow up with like proper arduino i mean i made a device for my mother the other day that has a it's a uv meter for a photography thing and it it has more processing power than the computer that i had in high school <laughs> was it using a pi 3 or a pi 4 no it was um one of the the adafruit like m4 feathers or whatever no so kidding. it's like 150 megahertz i mean i don't know if it actually had more like you know floating operations per second or whatever than that computer but it had more megahertz at least so it was at least you know single cores as well but it was generally faster um yeah the stuff that you can get for ten dollars today is insane but anyways um I ran a company called Maniacal Labs for seven or eight years, which did all sorts of open source hardware, mainly related to LED control. Um, I feel like I got to sort of ride the front of a wave of a lot of this stuff. I did a lot of LED control stuff before it got easy, yeah. which is why I sold a lot of hardware for it. Um, and now it's just you off. Did what? Does WLED piss you off? 
and how it's fully I'm open not... source for the uh, individually oh, the... addressable RGB LEDs. That yeah yeah, because <laughs> um, for a while I had like the predominant like if you wanted to not use C like library it was called BiblioPixel for doing LED animation and stuff like that. Um, it's all in Python, um, which was heavily used for quite a while. Um, but yeah, like I was doing that all before then. Um, one of the more recent things I'm kind of been known for was a project uh, called the Engravenator, which is a tiny, cute little uh, diode laser engraver. But again, I launched that. I've been working on it for a few months, like at the end of 2018. I launched at the beginning in 2019, and we were actually going to sell kits. We had kits for sale on Tindy. Um, the beginning of 2019. Well, guess what flooded the market in 2019? cheap diode laser engravers that's true. it didn't go well it did i yeah. mean it went well for everyone else but for not for me i mean it was still a, still a fun product to do so yeah i've done a lot of open source hardware stuff like that um big into 3d printing these days obviously laser cutting um for those that aren't aware i work for lightburn software which we do laser cutter control software um for a wide wide range of laser cutters and engravers um that is not an open source thing, but it is still a... It's totally affordable. And yeah. If you want to go with the open source, is, is RDWorks even open source? It's not. RDWorks is proprietary. Okay. Um, the Lightburn was originally created basically, like the original intent was feature parity with RDWorks. Um, because RDWorks is terrible. It is um, atrocious. It's... <sighs> It's to support the Rurita controllers, which are a Chinese-made controller board. And the controller board is great. It's FPGA-based. It's super fast. But the software is lacking. Um, the best example I can give of that is when you go to connect what port you want to connect to, like for the device, mm -hmm. they just give you a drop-down list that's COM1 through COM255, and you just pick one. Yep. Like, it's not that hard to just filter and show the correct ports but anyways as someone um, that came from rd works i was well within the first 50 users of lightburn and i think <laughs> i think i just saw that my license needs to be renewed so i have to go and uh, and, and and pay you guys to keep doing your work but yeah it is yeah one of the easiest software purchases and renewals that i make every single year and i just like everybody else gripe at per year software this is one of those where i'm like i don't care i don't want to go back i don't care take the money i don't want to go back well Tell i mean to, to go back to correct you on that a bit it's technically not per year you can keep using it forever this is true. it's just you don't get updates you don't get the updates and that and i do like that yeah and we recently raised the price from 40 for g code to 60 and from what was it 80 for the dsps to 120 but the renewal is still 30 dollars Okay. It's not gone up. Which I don't I don't know that it will, but it's not yet. Still very affordable. And that's just if you want updates. So um maybe then I should I, I'm like I, I it's been a while since I updated. Um <laughs> I was running before 1.0. Mm. Oh, no, I wasn't because I, I did the video on 1.0. Okay, so I, I was at 1.0 and there was a very particular thing that I didn't like about 1.0 when I was working with uh uh, with patterns and I wanted to change one thing. I had to redo the whole damn pattern mm. in 1.0.6. That was all fixed. And I'm like, Oh shit, damn it. All right. I, I, I haven't updated in so long and I've missed out on some really great features. So if were, you, were you not using virtual arrays? 
Yes. No, before I wasn't using virtual arrays. So that's part of the problem. Maybe I'm just um, an idiot, which is also uh, absolutely part of the problem. <laughs> Lightburn is one of those things that is funny. I've been working for, and I, I swear I'm not here to be a shill for Lightburn. I'll I, I do. I do genuinely love my job. Let me just say that. Um, like I said, I worked in open source hardware or open source hardware and software for a long time. I worked for Red Hat for five years before this, mm-hmm. and Red Hat makes Linux software. I know it's weird that that people pay for Linux, but Let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different thing. I, it's always funny. People get really confused. Like, wait, there's a company that makes Linux soft. It's like, yeah, people will pay don't for it. It's fine. It. Don't don't worry about it. Yeah. But anyways, but like you said, it's it's affordable. I also, I, I greatly enjoy just still being part of that community with it and getting to see what people make with the software that I write. So that's the fun part. But yeah, in... There's virtual arrays, which is near and dear to my heart because I wrote the feature, um, really? which allows. Yeah, uh, the the funny thing of it is, is because of the sort of structure of our development team, which until June and July of this year was me and Jason. Yeah, it was, there's only a couple of you guys now. There's a few more. Yeah, we have over twelve employees now. Okay, no kidding. That's some yeah. growth right there. Yeah, I mean, I started March of 2020. I had the the perfect time. It's a good time um, to start I, a new job. Yeah. 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 I, I left Red Hat to to work full time from home in March of 2020. Like literally a week after I left, everything shut down. Yeah. So yeah. That was that was fun. So I, I, was, I was April of 2020. So I'm like, if there if there's never a better time to be stuck at home with a back injury, that is the time to do it. That's that's fair. Yeah, no, no, I'm not recommending back injuries ever. God, it's no. the worst 18 no. months of my life. But yeah, back stuff sucks. Yeah, no, but, it absolutely does. And, you know, I you sent me your website. And I don't think I ever looked at your website before. And <laughs> we were talking before this about, you know, your 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 love of LEDs. And it finally mm-hmm. hit me like, oh, my God, the LED arrays on your website. You custom coded yourself, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, my yeah all of them so that's where that's where that bibliopixel came in um there might be some early ones on there that weren't using that but basically that's one of those weird software projects that came out of um initially when i was first getting into like the like digitally controlled leds back before we had neopixels and dot stars we had things like lpd 8806 um and it's an spi bus based protocol one of the reasons why it was usable at the time was because you could control it both from an arduino and from a raspberry pi i started with a raspberry pi and this was like i bought a raspberry pi v1 and the first thing i went to and did was bought a roll with leds to control with it so like the the very very early leds when in doubt uh, or and very early pies yeah yeah and I wanted to control it from Python because I figured it'd be a little bit easier than doing it with C++. And I found a library that was specifically for that one type of LED. And that ended up, I just kind of, I, I forked it and then made my own thing with it and then started tacking more and more features onto it. And then eventually it got to the point where like, you know, okay, you don't want to just do a strip. You want to do a rectangular display and you can specify the layout of the LEDs and it handles all of that for you. Even handles things like draw a circle, draw a triangle, draw a square, draw, you know, this image on there, even up to the point of somewhere in that code is um, 
a class for controlling a conical LED display. And basically by that, I mean a Christmas tree. Ah. Um, <laughs> so like I've got videos on the Maniacal Labs YouTube channel of like a Christmas tree where the entire surface of the tree is all calibrated so that it all acts together as one cohesive display. So it's not just like random around the tree. It's all together. Are so I can have like a spiral going up there in the holiday season. No, not even remotely. <laughs> I'm not even putting up a tree this year. Um, no, I'm like, I'm, so, I'm talking outside, right? Are all the neighbors like, no, just I, him, his idea is better than ours. No, I, I don't do any of this stuff. It's just, I, I don't, I don't have the time. I mean, I'm more the type to go, oh crap, it's Christmas tomorrow. I guess I should put some lights up, which is why like six years ago, six, seven years ago, my wife said to me one time, you know, it'd be cool if we could have some lights up for when like that are like orange and purple or something for when the trick-or-treaters are here. So this was Halloween. And this Your was like- just gave you permission for RGB LEDs on the house. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and she's like, yeah. And then like, it'd be kind of nice if we could have them where they just worked for whatever holiday we wanted. And this was like October 15th, you know, so I had like two weeks. So within two weeks, I had installed, very simple. They're on the inside of my front porch. Um, and they're actually the, they're like 12 old LEDs. So mm -hmm. each pixel is actually like six LEDs. So they're relatively wide, but yeah. it's easier to do. And you can do a long run of them because it's over 30 feet. And I only have the power at one side. Yeah. Um, and I have that where I could just like pull up my phone and be like, halloween and it does the thing i want to um, do this but i also recognize that i'm going to go overboard and i should not be trusted yeah. to do this <laughs> because it's going to be a problem yeah i mean at this point though and see that's that's one of the things like i was saying before how i kind of was at the at the front of waves of these things yeah now you can go to walmart and just buy something that does that and has a better app and I don't know about you know, a better can... app, but it has an app. Okay. I mean, you have to really remember, I am a software engineer who mostly has worked on backend, like, you know, infrastructure stuff. Right. So an interface to me is a command line That's or fair. like, you know, a REST API. I very rarely, and I did eventually with that animation library, write an actual like web interface to it mm -hmm. where like, and at one point I had one that was all crazy. You could configure it from there and you could do all sorts of stuff. Um, you could go from beginning to end with zero coding, but eventually for like later versions, because I had to drop support for that old one for various reasons. Um, I had it where you could basically just define like a menu. So it'd be like Halloween, Christmas, oh, New Year's, so nice. whatever. Yeah. So you could, you could give it the animation. You basically just say this button fires this animation. And that was all you needed. Um, but there was still coding involved. You had to write a JSON file and the, the whole thing. Um, that, but it was easier than really, literally what it used to be before was my wife would be like, hey, can you put it in Halloween mode? I'd be like, hold on, let me SSH into the pie that's on the porch. And then I do that and, you know, fire the command to do the right thing. I grew up in the 90s where I was too late to really get in on the bottom level of programming. Mm -hmm. and I was too new to get into the new type of programs. I actually never learned programming. It was never a class oh. that I could take. It was never taught in school. Um, yeah. And, and and it's like, I look at this and I'm like, ugh. 
like we, we we just got contacted by a company uh i'll i'll shout them out whatever they they want me to review their product uh octo everywhere I, and i've never heard of it and i'm like right. well the reason i've never heard of it is because i don't know how to program raspberry pies <laughs> right this nice. the, the printer behind me runs mm-hmm a pie and it's doing an octo lapse right now of a project that if I talked about the person would probably come and hurt me. Um, it is like, it's not under an NDA, but it's a very, very special thing that we're doing. And I'm yeah. so excited to talk about it, but I don't nice. want to ruin the surprise for him. So, yep. you know, we're not going to talk about it, but like I had to bring on, uh, you know, little Justin, uh, Justin Levy. Just, yeah. Yeah. He was the one that did programming on the pie. I'm like, I don't know how to, you want me to SSH? Shh. That's all that I know SSH to be. All right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> putty. Yeah. I got silly putty. Is, is that what you want? <laughs> I don't know any of these things. And I'm like, all right, look, I'm 85 years old. Talk to me like I'm your grandfather and you were trying to teach your grandfather to code. He's like, I can't do that. I said, great. Just remote into my computer and do it then. Because that's, yeah. that's funny. It's yeah. Like one of the things I wish and I want to learn like Python so I can, you know, be better at like using FreeCAD or even like if I wanted to use OpenSCAD. I don't want to use them because I don't know how to program. <laughs> OpenSCAD is a whole thing. And I mean, I'm both someone who lives in 3D modeling. Yeah. Like in, in my spare time. I mean, I'm constantly like, I don't you do CAD modeling for like a living or for anything that I'm getting paid for. But I have a paid Fusion license. That's how much I use it. Yeah. Um, but, and I am a programmer for nearly 20 years. I hate OpenSCAD. <laughs> because like, like, and I get it. There's somebody, like, I get that for some people, that is like the, the way that their brain understands those things. And like, I think the original Prusa Mark IIs and Mark Ones were designed in SCAD. Hmm. Um, which is just insane to me. Because like, the best I think I've ever done was make like a bolt. There was ever SCAD. only one live stream that no longer exists on our channel. And it was the live stream where I attempted to learn free CAD without oh, any man. prior knowledge. And let me oh, tell God. you, I rage quit. I, that was the only time I've ever rage quit a live stream. I'm like, I am done. I'm killing this live stream. I'm deleting this video. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it as, was as, so bad. As a lover of open source, I... I adore the concept of uh, FreeCAD, but it's, 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 um, and I, people are going to be screaming, but it's, it's a it's learning not, curve it's is more friendly. like a cliff. Yes. No, it, it's, it's not. It's, and I felt like hard to do. Had I given myself a little bit of extra time, maybe not in front of a live audience, enough time to Google things and maybe communicate with the FreeCAD people because of that, I will say yeah. they're really good on Twitter um it's it is one of those things that i think i might be able to pick up yeah now because i had a poor experience with it i'm gonna shelve it until i'm like ready mentally to take on that challenge once again that was as with anything it was the same thing when i was first learning cad even with fusion or i mean i started with like one two three d design and like played with tinkercad and stuff like that but with like free cad especially i think that's the kind of thing where you're like okay today I'm going to make a box with a hole in it. That's your only goal. Something simple. And then just kind of build on that. But right. I don't really have the patience for it. And like, at least for me, Fusion was a little bit easier to just sort of jump into. And it was kind of more obvious how things worked. But like, I, I was, I had to go through a little bit of that with, 
another great open source piece of software, which is KiCad or KiCad or yep. whatever the hell you want to call it. Yep. Um, which I adore. And now is pretty polished. And I mean, a lot of people better. use it. Yeah, it's gotten better. I but like I used it back in like the 2.0 and 3.0 days where it was a little janky. I don't mean a lot janky. Um, and there was a lot of things that just didn't necessarily make sense, especially coming from like, I had never designed circuit boards. So I was, I had no, you know, knowledge of what things were supposed to be and just trying. And that may have been what sort of tinted my view of it was I was trying to not only learn KiCad, but learn circuit boards in general. I'd thing. done breadboards and stuff. Yeah. Had the same problems. <laughs> I ended up yeah. like, we have electrical engineers on staff and I'm like, Hey, are you around? Do you want to come on a live stream with me? Like now <laughs> we were, so we use um, DJI Osmo pockets on our standing mm -hmm. set. Um, this is a camcorder. It's more than fine, but on the main set Osmo pockets, right. the problem with Osmo pockets is that they're a pain in the ass to charge. They have charging cases that are unnecessarily over-engineered because DJI, and I don't want to carry them because they're unnecessarily yeah. over-engineered. So I said, I got an, I got a, an ammo can because they're dirt cheap and they're waterproof. I want to mm -hmm. build a circuit board and I can just slot these cameras into it. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I'm like, oh yeah, I could design this out in CAD. I can bring in the parts from McMaster or, you know, from JLC. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, okay, it's time to do the circuit board. Shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when I started on KiCad, it was back when they had the auto router, which was just like piping it out to freerouting.net and then back. <laughs> and that was definitely the time where I learned just, I mean, truly the statement, never trust the auto router is. What is are some tips and very tricks much true. for those that want to get into doing custom circuit boards and that kind of thing is, is there like is it don't use KiCad go to eagle is it you know no i i would generally stay away from me like stay away from eagle if you're just doing it for fun mostly because it's not free it's owned by autodesk now i mean at least before you could kind of get like a well okay here's here's a funny story of actually how i got it got to using KiCad. this is when i first started maniacal labs okay. with a friend of mine who's an actual electrical engineer and knows how to do this um but we needed to choose an eda to build some new stuff in and what does eda stand for uh, electronic design automation okay Sorry. i think never do it's fine um we needed to see we needed to choose one and we were looking at eagle and they did have a free version of it but what we wanted to design was literally larger than the largest design you could do in the free version of Eagle. So Eagle was just out right from the beginning. And that pushed us to KiCad, which obviously, like I said, had its, its learning curves, especially in the earlier days. I mean, this was nearly a decade ago. Um, but we kind of went on with it from there. And initially, my friend Dan, who I was working on this with, was the one that was doing all the design. I got into learning KiCad purely because I didn't want to just watch on the sidelines. I, I mean, I was like supposed to be the one doing this, the, the, the firmware. That's where I was at. <laughs> but it was like, but that looks fun. Yeah. I want to do that. I, I, and I've watched our guys do it. I'm like, 
this honestly just looks like race cars, but for engineers, right? You're like yeah. just making the traces out. And then I got into him like, yep, this is exactly race cars for engineers with all the problems that race cars come with. <laughs> yeah. Well, race cars are on like multiple dimensions that can't cross each other's paths ever. Yeah. Um, Unless they're on different levels and stuff. Yeah. And this was also like before there was great, you know, 10 part YouTube series on how to do KiCad and, you know, how to do electronic design and all that stuff mm -hmm. i mean i think if you're getting into it now i mean start with something that you find interesting you want to do at least for me like i can't i sucked in school where i had to be like do this thing well why well because that's what the exercise is i know but what does it do like i i want an end goal I have to have an end goal for the things that I'm learning. I'm the same way, right? I can't just dive in and be like, okay, I, I made the thing. So, you know, start with something small. Like a friend of mine was re recently building something where it, like I found with circuit design, the best thing you can do, design something on a, on a breadboard and then just make a permanent breadboard. So no really even passive components, no active components on the board itself, pretty much just its wires with headers you plug stuff into. So like a friend of mine was doing that recently. I was helping him through that. And it was literally just a little, like a board that held an ESP 8266 board mm -hmm. and a temperature sensor and an LED. And that was it. But it was, he had a breadboard design. He just wanted to make it more permanent and something that he could like 3D print a case for. Right. And it's simple. It had like 10 traces. It was powered from the USB port on the ESP8266 port. Nice. Nice. It's just, I want to make this not be a nest, a nest of wires. And that's really, I think, one of the good places to start because then the schematic's easy. You're not really worried about components. It's just, here's a header, here's a header, draw some wires between them, and then I've got a board. And you know, if, if you're designing that stuff, don't be shy to have them fabricated. It's cheap. It's so cheap. I mean, maybe not for everyone, but like, you know, Oshpark can do really cheap boards. And I hate to say it, but all of the, the, the Chinese companies that, you know, now do them can do them probably even cheaper. It kind of depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Like, um, and he, he, well, a lot of those Chinese companies are also getting into 3D printing. So you can get your board yeah. plus your print. And I'm not even remotely worried about that becoming a problem no, in my life. I, I really need to see if any of them will do um, uh, SLS nylon prints. Because there's sometimes things I've really wanted to be printed in SLS nylon. I've got some guys that do SLS in the States for right. real affordable. Okay. Well, we'll and, need to talk about that later yeah. then. It's... It's like things where like I don't really need it in SLS nylon, and I can print it in nylon or polycarbonate here. It's just not gonna look as good, right? You know, yeah, stuff like that. I don't. Uh, I don't have SLS. I'm trying to get MJF in house, but right now mm. I have a local guy that does it, and he gives me really good rates. Um, it, it has nice. been, it's been tough because like we've got powder printers already. We've got full mm -hmm. color sandstone, and uh, not. Not many people will understand the mess they make until you get one. Yeah. And it when you're looking at like a 3D printing company or even as a 3D printing hobbyist and you want to go up to powder-based systems, it's similar to like uh Kai or similar to um like open SCAD. Vertical cliff. Yeah. Vertical cliff. Vertical learning curve. Of of, of issues. 
It becomes things like, oh, I must have negative pressure in the room or everything. Everything is going to be covered in white powder. Everything. Mm -hmm. And as funny as it is to like go through and make it look like you're just wiping cocaine off a table. (laughs) That's very expensive powder that's now going on the floor. And you're also now breathing it. Yeah. Which if anyone has seen Twitter in the past 72 hours, everyone has finally caught on to the problems that aerosolizing 3D printing resin. Wait, Grant, but I I heard that that breathing in UV resin is fine. Oh, my good man. Resin is toxic. I I need I need a button. I need like a steam deck with a button that puts it on my screen. Resin is is toxic. Yeah, it's so bad. Well, and actually, I mean, as you know, I I had a resin printer and the operative word being had. Yep. Um, And I know that I I could have made it work for me, but it's just one of those where in the end, it was all of those other things that just ended up not being worth it to me. The mess, just dealing with the resin, dealing with the smell of the resin. It really had to be out in my garage, which is not as convenient for me. Yep. You see, I have all of my printers here. That's a lot easier. Um, I mean, it's probably not great for me to be breathing in whatever's coming off of these, but I, I'm not as worried about that. That's definitely one of those points of contention. I know some people are like, no, you have to have all sorts of filtration, just like whatever. It's, it's fine. Um, we have yeah, the re- filters. Um, but I also have 11 resin 3d printers quite literally right next to me. Like I can reach up and and touch one. Yeah. yeah literally reach up and tap on it. They're yeah. that close. I can grab. I can grab full bottles of resin right from a shelf, like full bottles of resin. Oh, geez. It's unopened, unopened. Uh, that's so fair. Fine. That's it's fair. Still factory yeah. sealed. Um, In the end with mine, I have a, a good friend who's really into like tabletop gaming miniatures and painting them. Oh, yeah. And it was one of those where like I, I kept talking to him about it and he was thinking about getting a resin printer. And finally, it was like, look, do you want this one? I will give you a deal. I would rather someone use it. It's just not going to be me. And the funny thing is like two months after uh, I got it to him, I got a picture from him. He's like, so I bought some more resin and it was a five liter jug. That's, and he's that's, like, that's a lot. He goes through it a lot. And we have a lot of friends who are also into tabletop gaming miniatures. So it's like, you know, he'll still make some money off of them, but they're able to get miniatures printed from him for a hell of a lot cheaper than like buying them online where they're 10, $20 a piece instead of $5. You can get them printed at us for less than you can buy them online for. And I'm making a profit on that. (laughs) Right. And that's what, yeah, the way he was usually doing it is like, okay, it's, you know, 10 times material cost or something. Cause the material does technically cost that much. Yeah. It's like $40 a liter for the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's expensive. And yeah, he was using, like pretty much only Soraya tech. I think usually it was like a 80, 20 fast and tenacious just to those make are, them those a little are good numbers. Those yeah. are all good numbers, <laughs> which, which is one of the reasons why he wanted to buy, to buy the, or maybe. Yeah. Cause I think it was with the, 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 the five liter thing. He, he then bought a, a liter bottle of tenacious and then did half of it into each of the five gallon things. It, Damn it. That's actually smart. I didn't think about that. I've I've got like I've got a, a notepad sitting by mm-hmm. my resin with all the different doping uh methods <laughs> we've used because I've yep. I've been messing around with with doping resin because I the the one problem with three D resin 
outside and let's ignore the toxicity for a minute but mm-hmm. it is making sure the parts don't freaking break right and you yeah. can dope 50 percent tenacious and if you're still acting like a fool it's gonna snap yeah so we found yeah. a little bit of tough some tenacious some fast and some other 11 herbs and spices tend to give us like a really really good mixture yeah but boy howdy does it separate from solution yeah yeah because they don't necessarily want to keep stay mixed you gotta gotta keep them mixed up and all of that it's funny to me how much resin is is still behind fdm or fff or whatever you want to call it um enough that it's like we're back in those early days of where now instead of companies are playing with the chemistry of the filament it's the users themselves are playing with the chemistry of like the, the resin did mixes you have a that they're using back in the day too i no, i did not no. um oh, I, we man. thought about it like for a while i was like oh like recycle all my old prints and then it was just like eh, whatever it, it's not it was never about recycling the prints for me it mm. was always about making my own blended filament yeah and then i remember I, I had a business that had a powder printer in it and i could never get clean filament like it, we would clog the filter inside the filter almost instantly so we had to always cut them out and, oh jeez. Uh, yep oh just because like powder was getting into the powder it. was getting into it yeah and there was oh, no. no way to stop it like there was physically like i had that room under heavy negative pressure like pharmaceutical grade fume hood levels of negative pressure and wow. it would still find its way out and it would find its way into my damn prints and then we had a shop cat and the shop cat didn't help things out at all so no and, i've i've definitely pulled a few um cat hair clogs out of printers i've had where like hair got onto the filament as it fed into the machine that's a bonus of, of working with us every print comes with complimentary cat hair mind you she sheds very little like yeah for i've never had a cat that shed this little but she, she i've got the stunt double because she's off doing important cat things but i would be lying if there's not cat hair in this bed it's a thing oh yeah i know I'm, I'm used to seeing the cat there on the the friday calls yes quilon one says sounds like cyberpunk drugs fast tenacious etc yeah, you're not wrong <laughs> you're not this wrong. is this is true i could see someone like you got any of that tenacious I, I, I yeah. do like their naming scheme, but then there's like cast. I'm like, could you have not come up with a cooler name for your casting resin? Is isn't that the dental one? No, it's their casting the, like... resin. Oh, right. Yeah. Duh. I was thinking it was for like making like dental casts. It's or also something. bright purple. Because why not? I don't know, man. It's bright purple, and I've got well, like you, good settings to finally print it. You know, I wonder if they're doing that because a lot of times like the casting silicone is is two parts and it's usually blue and red. I don't know. Because, well, maybe you don't you can go straight into coating this in the ceramic slip media and burning it out because it burns out cleanly. You don't need to do silicone oh, cool. anymore. If you're going to do silicone, cool. get it in regular resin. There's no point in doing it because casting resin is crazy fragile. This reminds me. Have you ever seen uh, the YouTube channel Robinson Foundry? No. So he hasn't done a video in a little while. Um, and it's one of those channels that's not overly subscribed to. And I mean, I think it's got a decent number of subscribers, but not like into the millions. Um, and he does videos when he feels like it, but he's just been doing a lot of experimentation with lost PLA casting. Okay. And like he did somewhere, um, what was it? There was the, the 3d printed design going around for the bolt that you could have nuts that would go opposite directions. Yeah. 
on. So he actually cast that in bronze. Was he the guy that did that? Yeah. Okay, I looked up Robin Robinson Studio. Is that what you said? No, Robinson Foundry. Robinson Foundry. Okay, because Robinson Studio is a painting YouTuber. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't the right one. No, and it, he'll do. He's done some crazy stuff, like doing castings of the inside of shells or Whoa. castings of like monkey skulls and stuff like that. that but Impossible the, the... has 16 million views. <laughs> okay, some of his have gone very <laughs> viral. I'm not saying he's not well known. It's just yeah. lesser. 160k um, subscribers. Yeah, that's not a ton. Okay. Yeah yeah but uh yeah he's done some interesting stuff and i just just always fascinating watching the process of like taking the pla coating it in like multiple coatings of this like stuff that ends up turning into a ceramic when you bake it and mm. then burning all burning the just black sludge of pla out of it um in the kiln and stuff i'm gonna that send that to our cool. to some of our clients we have a bunch of jewelry clients and everyone is mm. it's funny because they're competitors with each other but they've all agreed to work together to figure out the okay. best methods for burnout. Oh, interesting. I said, you sure. want the best method for burnout? Work seven days a week, 18 hours a day. That's the best method I got for burnout. Yes. None of them yeah. find that hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Um, yeah. As, as a programmer where burnout is a real freaking thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, yeah. As anyone that takes a hobby seriously, that tries to make it a business, you find mm -hmm. very quickly that burnout is the easiest way to kill a hobby is the easiest way. Yeah. See, so I'm, I'm kind of curious about that, like with you, cause obviously this is something that sounds, seems like, I mean, I don't know what you did before this, aside from the, the giant shop you made, but it yeah. sounds like this is kind of somewhat hobby, you know, that you do for a business thing But for like me, I've had lots of people say to me, you know, well, why don't you do stuff with your lasers and make a business out of it or with the 3d printers and all of that stuff. And I have avoided it like nothing else because I feel like the second I do, it's not going to be fun anymore. I will admit that I don't do a lot of personal printing anymore um, because yeah. a lot of the, the the desire for it is gone, right? Because mm -hmm. I have 33 3D printers, okay? Like, <laughs> that is a lot of machines. 11 of them are resin. Wow. I think 20 of them are FDM and then there are there's uh, one full color which is for sale if someone wants a full color sandstone printer hit me up it will cost nice. more than 10 grand like considerably <laughs> more than 10 grand. the machine yeah. weighs 900 pounds empty and it's going to come with enough material to run for about a month straight wow um, so if you want one hit me up they're $70,000 brand new without material so this is the, the deal I'm given here is pretty good. And I'm, one of, the, out. and I'm one of the few people that know how to use them. And then there's other printer that I don't yeah. want to talk about right now. Uh, yeah. But yes, I, I started in this hobby in 2008 okay. um, with the RepRap project, building printers from scratch. Right. Yeah. Um, I had a personal need to take ideas and make them real. And I was in college at the time. So a fully functioning wood shop wasn't a thing. I have two business degrees. So I went for business. I wanted to be an engineer. I didn't mm -hmm. want $200,000 in debt. So I went with the next no. best thing. Learn how to run your own business. And then work with engineers. And play engineer. And no to this day, I think I've had one or two people question my background. Uh, okay. They're like, what did you get your degrees in? I'm like, business. 
Wait, you're not an engineer? No. <laughs> I still I still keep a caliper on my desk. I still know how to do all this stuff. But yeah. you know, I'm just not certified. I I know what I'm doing. We we have certified people when we need the certified people, but yeah, this did kind of start as a hobby. Yep. I worked at a local science museum and saw people waiting hours for 3D prints. I said, wait a minute. If they're going to wait hours to get something for free, how long would they wait to get it for if they had to pay for it? And the answer is not very long. And that's why yeah. we have a lot of printers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to have the capacity there. Yeah. I mean, I've got not 33 printers, but I have six now. And like, I've, I've had more than that at certain times. Yeah, but it's you- like, I'm not, ru- I'm not running them all day all the time. No. I'm not even necessarily running any of them every day. There but, are some days like that. Yep. Yeah, but there are some times where it's like, oh, I I need how many parts by Tuesday? Okay. Well, they're Turn all in all service. On. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of the reasons why I have like multiples of some of the same printers, because then like if I need multiples of parts, then I slice the G code once and split it up between them and I don't have to keep dicking around with that. Yeah. Like I love my minis. I love my Mark threes. I kind of wish they were four of the same. I, I have more than I have four minis and I have eight Mark three S's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those are 12 of the 20 printers or process. <laughs> I mean, they're hilariously they're great. Two of my four minis are still in the box. <laughs> I have for almost a year. I haven't opened them. Oh my God. I, wow. I bought them black Friday of last year. They didn't show up until February of this year. Yeah. So, like, by that point, my need for them had waned. And for the Uh, price that I got them for, for the fact that I I paid a great price, got them free shipping and all that, they can sit in the box. They're inventory at this point. Yeah. Spares, whatever. When you need them, you just put them into service and you're good to go. The plan is eventually to enclose the shelf over there. Mm-hmm. And utilize, I'm working on a product to make the enclosures functional. Have two minis, two Mark III S's here, two minis and two Mark III S's over there. Nice. And so we, nice. we have four open air, four enclosed, and then the other four Mark III S's mixed throughout the rooms. Yeah, um, just wherever you can put them. Yeah, I mean, I'm even at the point like where, you know, I'm kind of a crazy person. And in my own home office, I have actually had three 20 amp circuits installed because... I was running out of power budget for all of this yet. stuff. And I'm surprised wow, that I impressive. haven't hit that yet. Well, okay. The amount of times that every printer is on and running is literally right. zero. It has never happened that I've needed every right. single machine because resin. Because the resin printers, even if they're all on at the same time. And this very low power. Yeah. yeah. And they're like maybe 35, 40 watts each. Uh, okay yeah, yeah like a hundred at most if you're really i think when because I, I had a photon mono x and i think i maybe clocked it at like 90 okay. like when it was exposing and that was like oh and like they i for forgot two and a half i had seconds. I, I had built in a heater to it ah. so that it would heat the chamber so that was partly why i was thinking that but yeah part part of it is like the the tool changer here is an ac bed and i think it's like 800 watts yep and then I had an, I've sold it since, but I had a form bot that was a 400 by 400 by 500 millimeter. That's a big um, girl. Like bed slinger. Yeah. Oof. Um, that had a 900 watt heated bed. It made the lights flicker in my office when it was heating. <laughs> Just kind of, you yeah. know, 
doing that. So it was things like that. And then I've, I've got another machine I'm working on now, which is a 750, 800 watt heated bed, um, you know, AC bed. So like, like that will, I I've even been tempted to just because I can build in two power inlets, one for the bed, one for everything else so yeah. that I could put it on a different circuit. If That's it, what we like have the on bed itself on a different circuit. Yeah. We built Just a big case. ass D bot. It's literally named the big ass D bot. Uh, it's 400 by 400 by 788. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. Oh, it was only $65 of extra parts, double the Z axis. What could go wrong? <sighs> oh my God. The day I have to like bolt it to a wall basically to keep it from shaking. It's so bad. Oh my God. We built a new That's... Z axis for it with a 1605 ball screw and a pair of SBR-12 linear rails. So the Z-axis weighs more than the entire printer. Oh my God, that's insane. It's a 45-pound Z-axis. Um, big printing is kind of one of those crazy things where, like, because the, the format was large, and I didn't really use it a ton. And I actually, the printer that I'm working on now, originally the plan for it was to be a 500-millimeter cube print volume. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny how it's like you can go from something like my Daedalus, which is, you know, rail core sized. I mean, it literally yeah. uses a rail core bed. And like you can buy a bed for that and it's like a hundred bucks. Right. For an aluminum, you know, a, a Mike six milled aluminum plate bed. I was looking into getting uh, Mandela Roseworks to make me a 500 millimeter mag bed. And it was going to be like four hundred dollars. And that was not including the 1600 watt heater that oh I expect gosh. from Canovo. So their oh AC 500 millimeter square heater is 1600 watts. That definitely was going to need a second power inlet. Um, now we and just want those beds any of the Prusa. place. We want that module which is, bed system. Which is a brilliant idea. I mean, I, I, I like what they did with that. That was really cool. I mean, although there's like so many cables up under the bed for that. Like, that definitely added some complexity to it. Yeah, and you know, someone brought up a point when we were, because of course we're going to talk about the XL all the damn time. What do we think is going to be the failure rate on those beds? Because now all of a sudden, every printer has 16. So if you had a 1% failure... I thought it was 9. Is it? I thought it was 4 by 4 Whatever. I don't know. What do I know? My, my, my math is... It's 36. It's 360 by 360. So it was 90 each. Yeah, it is. It's oh. 16. It's four by four. Okay. Fair. Um, so if it was a 1% failure mode that like out of all the Mark three S's, 1% of the beds failed, you know, maybe they broke in shipping or they didn't test well. 1% right. equates to way higher numbers on printers. Right. But makes it easier to ship a bed as far as I'm concerned. Cause like, well, yeah, you, you're not shipping a huge thing. You just ship a, a little bit and it's, not a big deal. We've got a 410 millimeter mix six square plate for our big D bot. And the hardest thing for me was how the hell do you mount something like this? Mm -hmm. Because you can't have bolts sitting proud. So I had to countersink M3 hardware to use to line everything up. And then it sits on M5 studs. So the M3 okay. lines it up and then it sits onto M5 studs. So the M3 keeps it from moving around. The M5 transfers the weight. Yeah. Um, yep. It seems to work well, but it's like there's, because I only ended up with a quarter inch thick plate because I didn't want to take six hours. And you know, we have a 700 watt <laughs> heater on it. 
it is not a Canovo. It's some generic eBay. Because, like, that yeah. printer was built with a budget in mind, and that budget was way too low. <laughs> it started out as Bowden, and I want to let you know a 700-millimeter log Bowden tube is a waste of everybody's time and should not exist. That's what the tool changer was stock before the Hemeras. 700 millimeters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't work all that well. Um, no, this is this is why I never use tools two and three. I only ever use zero and one because they're Hemeras. And this is why it's sitting here because I'm currently working on it. Yeah, to... if, 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 and of course this does go out audio only later on, but for those that are, that, that are watching us live, that printer is on a, a Lazy Susan, which is freaking brilliant. I've seen Jordan of Mad Monkey Makes do it. And I said, nope, I got to do it. I got to do it, you know, to be able to spin the printer. It'd be yep. so much easier in videos to do that, to just spin it, then spin it back to the camera. We wouldn't have to make cuts every time I'm trying to, like, figure out what the hell's on the screen. Yeah, um, I did that a, a couple years ago um, when I was starting to work on some really, really big projects. Although I've got, I don't know, it's out of frame. It's kind of over here in the corner. You can see the blue tape and the white. Yeah. Um, there's a, it's a plotter that I built. And, so this is the funny thing I have a problem with CAD is I don't very often have a sense of how big something is basically just by the numbers. Yep. And my original plan for that was like, I want a one meter square working area. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, a lot it's of enormous. bend when they're that long. Well, yeah. Aluminum so, rails bend. Right. So I ended up with an 800 millimeter square working area. Okay. And basically, every almost every rail on the machine is one meter. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, and you're right, I originally had a 2020 rail going across it. The frame was 2040. Yep. But the, the x-axis was a 2020 rail. And it visibly drooped in the middle, even without that much weight on it. Because, I mean, it's literally just a pen plotter. Although, it's set up where you can put other tools and stuff on it. Yeah. Um, like, I have a laser head for it. And I have an airbrush for it. Of course, and stuff you have like a that. laser head for it. I have to, yeah. Um, but yeah, that thing, the base on it is, I think, 45 inches square. Uh, it's just like three quarter inch plywood that everything's bolted down to. And part of the reason why I have it on that is originally, like, I designed it where it didn't necessarily need a, a base. You want I could a just wall hang it. Yeah, I could. Well, yeah, potentially. Yeah. Or I could just stick it on this table behind me, which is a four by six foot table. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, I overbuilt it. And but so it didn't As weigh anything, but the y-axis is two 1.4 newton meter NEMA 23 motors. Two of them <laughs> with 12 millimeter belts. And oh, when I was first testing it, I was sitting at the table. It's gonna shake itself and I apart. Hit, yeah, and I hit a button to have it just move forward. And I had um added an extra zero to the speed uh -oh. on the, the movement, and it moved forward and stopped so hard the machine hit me in the chest it it moved like a foot and a half off the table and just rammed right into me i've been there before i've been but yeah, there before i run into things like that where it's like oh and this is going back to the when i was talking about building the the 500 millimeter cube printer part of i wanted to build this was just for something fun to bring to murph mm -hmm. if that happens this year um and uh i realized quickly it wouldn't fit out the door of my office Yep. Because it was going to be at least like 800 millimeters cubed as for the whole printer. And my, my door is a little bit narrow. Yep. It's only 750. 
So I've, I've had to scale down to something a little more tenable, although that one ends up, I think it's 900 by 950 by 500. This is why I have a 500 by 700 millimeter laser. It is the largest laser that fits through a standard Mandor. Right. Yeah. And it's so close. You have to remove the grounding lugs from it. You have to <laughs> unplug everything because even a power cord sticking out the back of it, not enough. Yeah. Not enough. Yeah. It won't fit because we, yeah. we, we bought it when we had a retail business because we found that 3D printing was too slow. Nobody would wait for their parts and they didn't want to come back to the mall. They wanted it to be shipped and they didn't want to pay for shipping. So I said, all right, let me get a laser so I can get things like, you know, 20 minutes, you're in and out. You can watch the damn thing burn it the whole time. Mm -hmm. Three months later, uh, they, they pulled the lease because they had a permanent tenant for the space. Fine. Okay, fine. Six months later, everything happens in the world and... I don't really regret any of that. So yeah, it's yeah, fine. for sure. That would have been a bad to have a retail space still. So it was a yeah. lot of money that I don't have an overhead anymore, but I went yeah. from 2000 square feet to a 170 square foot office plus whatever of, of the garage I can muster or muster. And yeah, I, I do kind of eke out into the living room every now and then. And people are like, no, no, no office. I'm like, but there's no yeah. space. It is 10 feet wide in here. And oh, wow. These are two foot wide shelves here and here. The same shelves that are there is my desk. Oh, nice. Because what do you do? It's it's exactly what you do in places where it's high density. You go vertical. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, you do the same thing. That's, that's why the printers are there. The The closet behind me is it, it's funny. The, it's a closet. But for whatever reason, there's a desk in it. I don't know why. And I can't get it out because the idiot that put it in the previous owner, I think it was put in with like construction adhesive and screws. Probably rip so like I took all the screws out and it won't come out. Cause I was going to build my own shelves into it or whatever. So the tool changer and my Daedalus sits on that normally. Um, but yeah, as a, as a maker lack or consistent lack of space is always a, a thing well and the youtube channel did not help this out because i turned no. part of my garage now into a standing set my desk now has to have hanging lights on it where the shelf used to be a lot lower and i had filament stacked on it now the shelf is like right at the top we have hanging lights so i can have all the, the you mm -hmm. know the proper lighting and things and now there's a microphone boom arm that gets it it is one of those things like all right yeah. and of course everything suffers from the flat surface law Right. Every everything that's not being used is now, you know, storage. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, my office when we first moved into this house used to also be sort of like the home theater room. I had big TV in here. I had literal theater chairs, um, not like the big comfy, like cushy ones, but like ones from a 1920s theater that were vel vel red velvet covered. Nice. Um, I had those and now instead like the TV's back downstairs now and like the wall over to my right here is is I don't know what 15 feet of two foot deep U-line wire shelving similar to this yeah this is all from Sam's I love the ones from Sam's Chris nice. 45 says a 20 pound hammer does wonders to construction adhesive and I have to agree um, yeah I, it might ruin the drywall too right so the one of the bathrooms is on the other side of that and mm, water pipes yeah so i've 
eventually I probably will get to the point where I'm literally just ripping out the drywall. And that's what I'd have to do is I would have to completely gut the drywall from that, that closet. Yep. And then do it. I've actually now seen the other side of that drywall. Cause we recently had the bathroom redone, um, which was fun. I was in here printing something and they were cutting through the old tub. Cause it was one of those old fiberglass inserts and hit the power line. No. I just heard I just heard a pop and the power in my office went out and you like I happened. ran it what you knew what happened yeah I knew I knew immediately what happened because I could hear the you know the reciprocating saw and I immediately went in there and I and like it took me a second to get get the guy's attention but it was just because he was listening to music and he couldn't hear me and he's like what it's like I was just making sure you're still alive it's like oh yeah it's fine I was like I was a little bit annoyed with that because I feel like if I had just because he knew he had gone through the thing i mean he, he saw the going. flash from it yeah but like i would have been at least at least like you know oh, gone and checked on the owners yeah. of the house like hey maybe and it was fine to, it was easy enough for them to fix but it was just one of those where they had run the power line slack behind the tub for that makes reasons total sense. i don't yeah, yeah obviously total this house sense. is wired really really weirdly this one too there's no door it's just a mud room in florida why do we have a mud room in florida there's no door. I had to hang curtains. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know what? It, it's again, it's one of those you got to work with what you got. And yeah. we were expecting to expand into like a building, whether it was on this property or somewhere else. Yeah. Then I had my back injury. So, all right, we're still here. Um, you know, and the YouTube channel has kind of changed all of that for me because I really love creating content. I love talking to people like you. I would have never met you. Had it not been, well, it had nothing to do with the YouTube channel because I met you before I started the channel, but we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the channel. The channel started in March of this year. We met. Mm, probably it was in, around there. Well, I guess it was before that. It was Matt's. I was on the Friday calls thing. before the channel started. Let, let, let's right. go with that. I was not. Yeah, I was not. Just because um, you don't show up, does it? <laughs> you should show up. It's fun. I, 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 I try to. I do. I know we all. Have I didn't. To do. I didn't for quite a while. Yeah, life got busy for lots of reasons. Well, and then you know, but. Justin the elders on there, and the two of you can yell at each other. Sometimes Joe comes on, and yeah, half the life yeah. guys are on that call. <laughs> it is always funny when we get on there. I swear that I was joking with it was either Joe or Justin, both Lightburn people, um, the other day about like whenever we get on there like i kind of feel bad because it always ends up being that we just get into lots of laser conversation but there's a lot of like, laser people on there and i think that's yeah like and I, i'm not trying to like control the conversation no, and no, be no. like talk about me it's lasers it's fun but no. i think people just start asking questions um granted it's been a while since i've been in there and anyone has then directly messaged me through the zoom chat saying hey so i've been having this problem with light <laughs> We have forums for this. I, 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 say, I think it's the same reason that no one like bothers because, you know, a lot of us have ways to reach, you know, like we could, you know, DM Joe Prusser, DM Mikolas or DM Matt. We don't do right. that because there are right ways to do it. You know, right. You, right. If it is something where, all right, you put something out there a couple of weeks later, you got nothing back. All right, fine. At that point, you know, hey, did you totally. get this thing right? Uh, totally. it, it, but that that's also what I love about this community is that, you know, I, I see, I love Lightburn talk because 
I, it is it profoundly changed the way that I used my laser. Right, Russ from the RD Works Learning Lab. Yeah, um, everyone knows him. If you have yep. a cheap laser, you know Russ. And if it wasn't for Russ, I wouldn't have owned a cheap laser. And if it wasn't for Lightburn, I I would not still have that cheap laser. Yeah, because RD Works is the worst. That's not the worst. Chi2 Box is probably the worst program I've ever used. But RD Works is up there with some of the worst program I have ever used, where it will crash. It will have random jargon on the screen that has no valid in any way, shape, or form translation to anything that matters. Mm-hmm. And it just crashes because screw mm-hmm. you, that's why. And yeah. it, it, Lightburn has its quirks. There are some odd things that I like. For sure. I have to put a a square in the top corner otherwise it moves my origin to the top corner of the part and no i want some some buffer space around my part right those are some of the little quirks i'm like that's fine that's an easy thing to do i have it set so as soon as i load it that green square comes in with a little macro life is easy yeah but you learn to work with those little those little nuances and whereas rd works has had basically no updates ever you guys are putting out updates at least once a quarter. And these are yeah. not like small updates. These are pretty serious updates. Yeah, we we try to. The funny thing of it is, is our updates have almost slowed since we got more developers. And I think it's partly because we're a little bit more ambitious with what we do. It's fair. Like we have the dev time to do some interesting things. Whereas before we would, instead of waiting for... 10 new features to put in a new version we'd kind of wait for one or two and we just would push them out constantly um a system that i really like is the way that lychee slicer does it lychee has a discord and they release mm -hmm. private betas in the discord so if you're in their discord and you want to help beta test you can go download it all day long but it's not a general public known thing yeah. So that small little changes can be validated by multiple users before it goes out into the real we, world. We have betas too. Do you now? Mm-hmm. I gotta see how I get on those. Yeah. I, I seriously, and, and I would I would do a testimonial. There are so many videos of me saying this that Lightburn <laughs> has made laser cutting easy. It is sincerely made it easy. And for anyone that has never used RD Works and has only used Lightburn, go use RD Works for a week, and then you'll know how how truly uh, gifted you are and uh, a special it is to have this software that is so abysmally affordable. Yeah, it. You know, it's funny you're talking about going using RD Works for a week. So I, for reasons that have not totally nothing to do with Lightburn, and I won't talk about. I have a, a Galvo laser that yeah. I just got. And they show up, it happens. It's, they appear. Yeah. Um, if anyone I wants to have one appear at my doorstep, I'll give you my address. <laughs> I intentionally, when I first got it, just, I I didn't, I just used EasyCAD, which yeah. is like the software that comes for it, so that I could feel the pain. <laughs> like I intentionally wanted to internalize the pain and agony of using EasyCAD so that I could make you know whatever we're maybe working on a thing and make it better yeah yeah as i said to you before we started recording we are investigating galvos we have no eta i mean it's all i'm gonna say about that 
it literally makes sense, right? If if people are sitting here saying, well, I wonder why a guy at Lightbird has a Galvo laser. If you have to ask yourself that question, there there, there, there might be some things that we need to talk about because there, there's right. a, there are reasons for these things. The, yeah, we, we have had people hounding us for fiber support. And I just, I'll throw this out here real quick. Fiber is the laser source. Galvo is the laser. Yes. Like motion system yeah you guys what I'm you guys support fiber lasers already yes because like there are lasers that have not even just a, like a fiber source but a co2 and a fiber source i so we have a trotech dealer locally which is so weird because yeah. i live in the middle of nowhere florida and, and there's, there's one, one there even further in the middle of nowhere florida and they're like oh yeah yeah look this machine's got both yeah i'm like but it's like 90 grand they're really expensive machines. Yeah. And we've grand. seen some we've seen some cheaper ones. There's also um RF yeah. uh, lasers, which are basically just RF excited CO2. Um instead of the you know electrically excited CO2 tubes. Like yeah. Twenty four thousand volts or something stupid. Yeah, they're usually between eighteen and twenty six kilovolts, depending upon what amperage you're running at and what size tube. Um but yeah, so Galvo is the type where it's moving mirrors instead of a moving lens and or mirrors that are angling themselves is yeah. what I'm getting at. A Galvo is a pair of generally a pair of mirrors that are servo controlled that can move incredibly fast, incredibly mm -hmm. accurately with accelerations well exceeding what would kill any human. Like right, because they don't wait. Thousands of G's of acceleration. Right, because they, they don't they don't weigh anything and like my aeon mirror seven can accelerate it i think 2g yeah which is a lot for a gantry yep. laser although the funny thing is you say they're server controlled not really the aeon i don't know if the aeons no are. not not the servo galvos oh galvos galvos are so a while ago this really was servos there are some that are kind of into that realm okay and they're servo in a sense i'll explain and this is just, I'm just going to nerd out because I, I this is, this truly love this these podcast things. is about, my dude. Let's nerd Bef out. Before uh, I shut down Monocle Labs, because we ended it at the end of 2020 for lots of reasons. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we were working on was a galvanometer control board. Because you can buy for like 50, 60 bucks a cheap Galvo unit. Yep. And it basically comes with two little control boards, one for each galvanometer, which is, you know, the thing that moves the mirrors and then the power supply. The, the hard part is making the control signals that control the galvanometers. Right, right. Um, that actually move them. And the reason why it's freaking hard is because it uses a negative 15 to 15 volt analog signal. Oh my gosh, it's not a servo. It's literally like a DC motor. Yeah. Now, it's a servo in the sense that it does have feedback. Yeah, it's got like a it hall is, effect or something. Right. Yeah. It's closed loop. There's a, like a hall effect or something, some kind of sensor in there. So it, when you Damn. tell it to go to a spot, it's, it, it's making sure it's reaching that. Yeah. But we had to do all sorts of crazy stuff with op amps and whatnot to generate a negative 15 to 15 volt you know, output signal. Yeah, no thanks. To make it so basically zero volts is like the mirrors in the middle. Right. And then 15 and negative 15. Um and even these 
higher end, you know, like much higher speed Galvo units basically use the same thing. I was looking into them and, you know, the output signal is negative 15 to positive 15. It's kind of a standard and you can even, it's like, I can't remember what it's called. There's like a standard like test pattern. It's like LIDA or light something. I don't remember. That was from like 70s and 80s era um, Galvo based laser light show devices. And that's where a lot of us know Galvo's from. It, it, it's like, you know, the, the, the things that draw on smoke right. or on a wall or something like that for laser light shows. Right. So th those are Galvo based. Yeah. I mean, technically, you can even buy um, laser based uh, like movie projectors yeah. that are effectively Galvo based. Crazy, um, although crazy money. they use a, a sort of different system. A lot of times they'll just use a spinning mirror because they're only ever scanning. Well, so they'll have like a, a cubic mirror on a, on a motor. Isn't like a DLP system effectively just a shitload of Galvos? Because those mirrors are all individually controllable. Yeah, kind of. That's ish. It, it, I have two business degrees. It it it's it starts and ends at I know how DLP works. <laughs> right. You're right. It is a lot of mirrors to to guide the light, but like with a galvo, you're talking basically one single beam path yeah. that then scans. And fiber makes all the cool noises that CO2 doesn't. Honestly, that's right. like half the reason I want a fiber laser. Me. <laughs> yeah. Which is fun too, because I used to think that, that the sound was from the mirrors, but it's not. It's it's from the laser ablating yeah. material. It's literally the ablating thing. And you know, I I've always wondered with fibers because I know reflections are a massive problem in mm -hmm. CO2 and CO2 lasers have enclosures. Most of the fibers that I see that are, let's go with under 50 grand are open air. Mm -hmm. Is it the that's, same kind of concern? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, that's what, that's why I have these sitting here. Yeah. Um, Laser safety glasses for those that weren't paying attention. Yeah. So these are your like 800 to 1064 nanometer um, things. I, I don't know, honestly. Um, I, I assume it's still very bad to get it in your eye. Yeah. Um, I think part of the difference with it, with it is that um, with a CO2 laser, it's at a wavelength and oddly enough, they're actually both IR. It's just IR is a really wide band. Of course. Um, it's like from 700 nanometer all the way up to one millimeter in wavelength, which <laughs> a is... millimeter wavelength. <laughs> yeah, it's freaking huge yeah. in, in you know, uh, wavelength terms. But CO2 lasers work better, obviously, with like organic material that it right. absorbs it. But with metal, it just it reflects, reflects it. it. Yeah, or, or metal absorbs all the heat and nothing happens right whereas with a fiber laser it's a lower wavelength higher frequency and the metal actually absorbs it so it's, i think it's less likely to to reflect it um i probably should build an enclosure for it at some point right now i'm just going with the, the safety goggles just so i don't you know burn my eyes out but and like that's the business model to me and so like, like i'm wanting to get some affordable fiber lasers Hopefully I can get the companies to just send them. That'd be great. Because uh, yeah. I don't want to spend like 10 Gs on a few different fiber lasers and look at building enclosures for them. Because yeah. it, it is the same reason why I think diode lasers that fit on a 3D printer or diode lasers that fit onto plotters are some of the most dangerous tools. I would take someone getting a resin 3D printer for the first time that doesn't know how to use it over someone getting a, a, uh, a diode laser for the first time that doesn't know how to use it. Because yeah. one of them 
is a permanent, life-changing problem, and the other one is just chemical burns. In theory, yeah, eventually you could be like become allergic to the resin after a while. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the diet laser thing is a bit of a pet peeve with my uh, with me. Um, so like one of the projects I can't remember if I mentioned this before we started recording or after was the engravenator, which is you know my tiny was, little. I think it was before, but yeah, before. So open source, tiny little like 130 millimeter square working area. Um, diode laser engraver but one of the big things with it and that was a lot of the projects that i've done especially in the last few years have happened not because i had an idea but because a friend of mine came to me and said hey i want to do this does something like this exist and then oftentimes the answer is no but i could do that let's let's see what happens so the engravenator was those are my favorite no it doesn't exist but screw it let's do it yeah so a friend of mine came to me who's a woodworker and he basically said like, I want to be able to engrave my maker's mark or something custom, you know, dedication, whatever on stuff I build. The problem of it is he's like, I looked into getting a, a proper laser, mm-hmm. but unless I want to spend $20,000, I can't fit the thing in there. Right. Or I can't fit it in it anyways, because it's a chair or something, you know, like yeah. just, it a was a normal sized object. Right. So he's like, I want something that I can just set on top of the thing I want to engrave, potentially even, you know, clamp to it. And then it'll just engrave. Um, and also he has two young kids. So he wanted it to be completely enclosed. And this was like really before diode lasers flooded the market. Cause now you've got your Ortors and your NAJ and what jtex adams or the other ones yeah right? adam stack and snap makers and all of those they really weren't a ton on the market at the time um right so you couldn't even get one that wasn't enclosed at least not easily or it was relatively expensive um so i started playing around with that designed it it's most of the parts are either 3d printed or just aluminum extrusion um it's kind of a little cube and it's completely enclosed um, I actually did a bunch of research into the acrylic for it. Okay. The funny thing is you can buy like certified safety acrylic yeah. for diode lasers, yep. but it's five, 10 times the cost. Um, but what I found is at least for diodes and mind you, this is just my research. I'm not an expert on it. Yeah. Your mileage um, may vary. We are not experts. This word is, right. uh, you know, disclaimers, disclaimers, lawyer stuff. Do it at your own damn risk. <laughs> right. But what I found is typically the orange acrylic that you use for that yeah. is 2422 amber, it's like three mil acrylic. The only real difference from what you can buy from your local or online supplier and what you get from like JTEC, which has like certified panels, yeah, is it's certified. The sticker for certification. That, for yeah. that batch. So I kind of went with the the opinion of, look, you're still using it at your own risk, but these are the panels that I have for it. Cause we actually did, we tried doing kits for it for a little bit. Um, in general, it seems safe. <laughs> you know, I've, I've actually like fired the laser at it and it didn't burn the thing behind it, you know, yeah. it, stuff like that. I did some basic tests with it. So the entire thing's enclosed in the orange acrylic and whatnot. Um, unlike, you know, a lot of the ones you find today, which are just, out in the open and you're just a reflection away from a bad eye problem something that i've always found interesting and because i've got 
quite a few Elegoo Marses, and they're of mm-hmm. varying age ranges. Elegoo mm. changed their cover from a multi-piece cover to a single piece, maybe it's two-piece injection molded cover. Right. They changed their acrylic. It is no longer UV. It doesn't stop the UV anymore. I have a That's UV laser, like a handheld UV laser that yeah. I used to do, like, you know, very uh, dedicated curing. Through the old things, I can shine the UV laser and I see nothing on the other side. Nothing. Yeah. Zero. On the newer enclosures, and the, I've had these machines for a while. Okay, mm-hmm. These are like my 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 newest Elegoo Mars. These are OG Marses, not Monos. No, they're LCD Marses. As they break, I get rid of them. Uh, the newest one's probably a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. Right. The newer ones, I can see blue on the wall from the other side of it. That's unfortunate. It's not It's not anywhere near as bright. So it, it's stopping most of the light. The covers for the Saturn are the same way. The covers for the Photon Mono X are the same way. It does yeah. not stop all of the laser. Now, the laser might be a little bit outside of the 405 nanometer spectrum. Right. But the original covers did stop it. So yeah, which I feel it? like you want a buffer there. Um, I mean, like, for example, just in terms of blocking UV, I actually... I built a new cover for that Photon Mono X that I had because I wanted to be able to heat the chamber because it was going to be out in my garage, which is not really temperature controlled. Right. So I wanted to be able to like have the chamber up to like 30 C and print it with that. Well, so I had to replace the yellow acrylic cover or whatever they had with my own and it was all 3d printed frame and then i remember some this, of those... you laser cut a door so it could open as a door right yeah yes yeah so i didn't have to pull the whole thing off and actually it wasn't even like a hinge it was just on magnets you just pop it off and set it mm. aside but anyways i did a test before i did that to make sure that that acrylic would actually block uv and i did it by taking two little plastic containers and pouring um Soriatec fast resin into them i covered one with clear acrylic i covered one with the amber acrylic that i had and then i stuck them out in the noonday sun you could tell with a clear one that the resin was starting to cure nearly instantaneously like as soon as i walked it before i even put them down you see it was clearly smoke with that much resin yeah it was clearly clearly it was a thin layer okay but it was already starting hard Maybe it was like two millimeters thick. It wasn't a ton. Um, the amber one, I left it out there all day. And then I left it on my workbench in the window for the next week. And that resin was fine. Yeah. I, I think that like, you know, blocking 95% of UV is more than adequate. But right. east facing windows, right? right? There's a piece of black poster board for the time lapse. So you don't really notice the sunrise and sunset on some of these yep. ridiculous time lapses. But I had all the printers over there previously. Yeah. And on the newer ones, we started noticing that we'd have a film on the vat. We'd have a yeah. film of cured resin on the vat. That's so no I had good. to start covering the vats. That's um, no good. So I ended up just moving everything to the other side of the room. And uh, it's not in the sunlight anymore. And it's totally fine. Um, yeah. And now I just do that- all my washing over there oh, okay i need yeah. i need to get a dedicated washing station because i now have enough printers to fill those shelves yeah Rip. and yeah that that was my my major intent with when i was reeled on that cover was i, I don't want to like come back and there's a you know my vat has cured i remember overnight yeah. yeah that was that was fun times even if i didn't keep the printer because it was a 
because like mess. i think everyone that has these printers has the same gripe i don't want to take the damn cover off of it i just want it to open like a door but yeah. even if you had it open like a door and i could go throw it in my laser right now and cut a big panel out but i was tempted now, there's a kerf there's still that laser curve and you could put a piece of yeah. rubber or something right. there and right there are ways to do it but yes with with all these printers like all right i cannot have more than half of them running at a time if i want to clean them all at the same time because i got to take one cover off and take that cover off and i set it on the printer next to it upside down yeah um, yeah you know and they're all like the vats are like at chin level so they're all relatively high for me um, but it's the, I can't have anything above it. And it's like one of the big reasons I look at like the Jupiter, the Sonic Mega 8K, and some of these larger printers that have the doors. Mm -hmm. well, wait a minute. Yes. All right. You know, side to side is now the issue, but now yeah. I can, I can put a shelf on top of it and it's fine. Yeah. It's my and that's biggest gripe and why I don't have more resin printers. Yeah. That's, that's always a tough thing when you're figuring out where things go of like, okay, well, you know, am I going to be blocking access to this in some way, shape, or form? Um, and access is and the big, big deal, thing. especially with, you know, toxic chemicals, right? Yeah. Actually, funny thing about that, the cover that I made, originally, I think all the parts were printed in PETG. Yeah. Um, but the friend that I ended up selling that machine to, he comes back to me about four or five months later, and he's like, so the bottom ring has cracked, in like three places it just it just cracked apart and all we could figure out it was was because it kept getting exposed to resin splashing on it and it somehow degraded the plastic and the only thing that we found in the end that wouldn't do that test. yeah well yeah um was i ended up reprinting it in polycarbonate polycarbonate makes the most sense it's acrylic more or less right well yeah and i looked into it it was like okay what's the thing that's the least chemically you know, active. It's like, okay, polycarbonate. PC's um, a good I mean, one. that's a big PC part. Yeah, that was a pain. I had to print it a couple of times to keep it from warping. But, and, it, and that was one of those, it fit with about two millimeters of tolerance on my Daedalus because it, it was like a 300 millimeter square part um, for the size of that machine. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a pain. Now, what is your fit? Like, since you've obviously made tons of stuff in the past, what, 10, 15 years at least? Yeah. What is your favorite project? <sighs> My favorite Other project than being is able to yell at me for not using virtual arrays in Lightbird that you made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the funny thing is, you, you joke about that too, but like also, as much as like I've been a software engineer for years, I, and, I, and I've, I have told Jason, the owner of, Lightburn, this that if it were not for getting the job at Lightburn, I probably would have left the industry. That's fair. I don't. I don't work on software in my spare time anymore. I used to. I mean, that was my thing. Now I really, really love hardware, building physical things. I like building a thing and being done with it. Right. Um. Like, I like the weird things. I have a mouse that I built, which unfortunately is too far away, that uses a a pool ball as a trackball. Yes. And track the actual life, <laughs> the actual mechanism. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I use trackballs for everything, Hell um, yeah. but the actual mechanism is an Atari arcade trackball. 
because the balls are the same size. And the reason the balls are the same size is because originally they just used pool cues or not pool cues, the cue ball. And that's got some mass to it. Yeah. Right. They went, we need a ball that has some mass and is readily available. Pool balls. And it's the same reason why there is a Kensington brand track ball mouse that has the same size ball. I always wondered if like the, uh, oh, what is the golden tea games? I'm like, yeah. those really feel like it's a pool ball, but it was a little bit larger diameter, I thought. Yeah, the, some of them are larger. Yeah. I did look at that. So I think mine's like two and a quarter. There's some that are like three. So that's one of the fun ones. The, the Engravenator is probably one of my more favorites. Um, and I have hanging up on the wall here, and it's it's on my website, um, adamhighlight.com, if you see it. There's a project I did called Bixel. A couple of years ago um that one's sort of my favorite partly because i got to step out of the engineering world and into the art world a little bit um it is a 16 by 16 grid uh so 256 total right of buttons each of which is a pixel and it, my naming scheme is terrible it's literally button pixel equals pixel um i suck at naming shit but um is. Yeah, so that you had like a stream that, deck before they were cool, but instead of an o, an OLED, it was a you know individual LED picture. Right. So and with that, uh, we made it because we had done um, some. This was when I was doing Maniacal Labs. We had done some LED displays, uh, like Colossus, which was a two meter tall LED display that I used to actually have in my office where those three D printers are. Nice. Um, shame, shame you had to remove that because that that would have been cool <sighs> in the background. It was really cool. It had like a clock on it, but eventually I just, I needed the space back. It had been there for like five, six years. Yeah. Um, but we had done those as part of a local Raleigh, North Carolina arts festival. Okay. Um, and some of the people that ran that approached us and said like, hey, we're doing art project grants. Are you interested? So we actually got a grant to do an art project. That's cool. And that ended up being Pixel, which is a bit nuts um so first of all one of the reasons why it's my favorite thing is because there is a custom circuit board for it and that circuit board is 500 millimeters square that's a big ass why is it that big because that was the biggest that pcb way would make oh because every one of those buttons is an led and they have to be spaced and all that what right we didn't like rgb keys how did you get the button plus the led so the thing of it was was you know we did have some funding for it but it was about a thousand dollars and we threw some extra into it yeah um but we were building it to cost so the way that it's constructed is like i looked into getting buttons that had rgb leds into them but we were talking a dollar two dollars a button right on on the cheap end and they needed to all be individually controlled so the way that we ended up doing it is the actual LED itself is a, I think it's an SK9822 LED, which is related. It's a clone of the APA 102, which is what more people know as the dot star. It's the SPI based, um, you know, with a data and clock line, okay. uh, RGB controllable LED. Yeah. Um, it seems a little bit weird that we have a PCB for it, but what I literally did was I bought a bare, 
I've done enough LED stuff at this point that I, I have I have LED guys in China that I can get weird shit from. You've got a guy. Uh, That's the, my I, favorite people are. I got a guy. Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have an LED guy. Um, for a while, I used to for like local people, we would do like bulk buys. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere out there, there's a video of me unboxing like twelve thousand dollars of LEDs. Um, but what we did was we we cut up the strip, so it wasn't like it didn't have any plastic coating. It was just like the bare yeah, flex the strip strips. with the LED on it. Because I didn't want to have to like surface mount solder 256, God, you know, little RGB LEDs. Um, but what I figured is those have large pads. So I just cut them off and I made a footprint where you just set it down on the PCB and you could just solder jump like the, the pads on there. From, so from its thing. Yeah. Right. So the, the LC or the LED already has sort of a carrier for it. It makes it so it has bigger pads. It's already got a smoothing capacitor on it it had all that stuff it sort of simplified some things right and and then on either side of that led is two tactile switches well there's one on each side there's two total the way that we actually made the buttons is there's the pcb um with the switches and then there's like a shit ton of um brass spacers Mm -hmm. on top of that is a sheet of acrylic that i cut circles out of on top of that is another sheet of acrylic that I cut slightly smaller circles out of. And the lower sheet, oh, I literally man. just took the circles that got cut out, all 256 of them, stuck them back in there. And it's like frosted white acrylic that's semi-translucent. Yeah. And it sits on top of the buttons, but the, sh- the, the switches don't let them go any further down. And the upper one keeps them in there. Right. So wherever you push in on that piece of acrylic, it activates the tactile switches below it and you get a key press but then we actually had to figure out how to run all of that and it's wired almost identically to how you would build like a custom you know cherry mx key keyboard where each one of those has a diode so that you can do the you know column and row scanning except for instead of a 104 key keyboard or whatever it's 256 and we've got 16 columns and 16 rows so then we're using a teensy 3.6 i think 3.5 um connected to a couple of shift registers to do all the scanning all of that's connected to a raspberry pi so basically the pi just calls out to the teensy and says what buttons are pressed actually i think i think that the teensy literally just responds with a um 16 bit by 16 bit blob of data mm. so it knows which bits turned on and that's the key that's turned on and then that goes into some custom python based um led animation stuff that connects to the actual led strip that's snaking across it um which is one of the reasons why we use this particular led is because we could control them directly from the pi right and then we ended up with like a bunch of games programmed onto it so there's pong or something on it uh, yeah uh i don't think we did pong we did um what was it we did missile command which is fun um except for oh. instead of firing at the missiles you literally just have to like hit them like you actually oh, hit the yeah, right get, button at the right time them. yeah 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 um there's an old arcade game that's called like quicks or something like that where you have to like there's a ball bouncing around and you have to divide the the play area into smaller and smaller sections and it would do it would um do that uh you remember the old lights out games that were like five by five yeah and you had to like every time you hit one it would alternate all the ones around it yeah we made that except for it's 16 by 16 and it's literally unsolvable 
like unfortunately it has to be an odd number of rows and columns otherwise it can't be solved but the people that were playing with this at the art gallery that it was displayed in were drunk and didn't know that so it was fine it was yeah it's still fun whether you can solve it or not is irrelevant it's just a big ass yeah. wall with buttons on it right and then the other the other one really fun one was we did kind of our own version of bejeweled where you would you would actually anytime you hit a, a button that gem would be deleted and then everything else would fall and then you you know you'd make groupings of the same colors right. and then those would disappear and it would chain from there so we did some fun stuff like that and it could just display stat you know non-interactive things as well um but yeah i've actually got it hanging up on my wall here um yeah i've had i've had people ask me if i'll ever add new games or whatever to it and that's one of those things where i'm like i, I have no interest in reprogramming that ever or adding new stuff but yeah because things have changed so much since you designed that originally that right. it's probably not it's probably not even worth go trying to update it's likely a lot easier just to start from scratch yeah i ran into that with the giant wall size led display that i was talking about where like i had it running on an old windows 7 pc running like python 2.6 or something beautiful and i thought about updating it to the latest version of the library that i written and then it was like nope I'm not touching it because it works and I I'm don't want it to that. break. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, so many people want to tinker. Like I'm, I'm going to point fingers at the Ender 3 users out there. I'm going to get a printer. I'm going to put $200 of upgrades onto it. And then I'm going to claim all the purses are terrible out there because I don't have a value for my own time. That's an upcoming video, by the way. I yep. am buying in all these different upgrades to take my ender 3 v2 and make it better than a prusa mini for less than prusa mini money if i ignore my time and i right. am not gonna tell everybody how much time it took to do the upgrades until the video series is over that's beautiful that's beautiful <laughs> i i get into debates with that with people so much and it's just like i hate it well yeah but, but what's your time worth and i'm at a weird point in life where my time is worth a lot yeah so you know, I, I'm much more willing to do things like that. Um, Back when I had a day job, my time was worth $40 an hour, right? When I had a day job, that's what I got paid. And I got paid that 40 hours a week, right? 50 weeks a year, right? I, I was making 80 grand. Um, right. And people are like, well, why do you charge so much now? I said, because this isn't, you're not paying me 40 hours a week. You want yes. hyper specific information. And yeah. there is a thing, like, if, even if you value your time at 10 bucks an hour, I can tell you right now, it will cost you more at $10 an hour to upgrade an Ender 3 than it is to just buy a damn Prusa Mini from the game. And I get it. It's a smaller printer. The video makes way more sense if I'm taking a $200 printer and putting it up against a $450 printer right, versus going sure. up against an $800 printer. Yeah. But you know and jimmy makes a good point that he says i do want to note that what i learned from upgrading my first anet a8 who was quite a good worth for the time as well not just the print quality and that's fair that mm -hmm. upgrade path teaches you so much about the technology oh, yeah. but i also think a prusa kit does the same thing <laughs> yes they don't Assuming pay me to get... say this and i really wish they did because <laughs> i do a lot yeah. of shilling for prusa Sorry, good? I, I I kicked over my um, speaking of 3D printing, my 3D printed trash can. Holy shit! Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You can't just show that and then put it away. What the? That's a really good print. What was that done on? That form bot that I was talking about. 
Did I know you were selling this? I uh, should have known that you were selling I don't this. know. I mean, I'm not sure. Getting it to Florida would have been problematic. That's fair. Dude, that's a clean freaking print. Um, and that's a that's rain- one of the first thing. Sorry, go ahead. It's a rainbow filament too, which sometimes can show off some BS. Right. And the thing was, I bought the I bought that roll, and it for whatever reason, whenever I print, tried to print it on a machine that just had like a a point four millimeter nozzle or whatever, it it would the filament would often break before going in. It, it was like horribly brittle or whatever. So finally, I was like, you know, I, let me just do something simple. And I had the form bot set up with, I think, a one millimeter nozzle. I mean, that's that's single wall. Oh, the, shit. the whole trash can. It's just face mode. Thick layers are uh, so much fun, though. Oh, they're, they're so great. It's that's the only the, reason the, I still have my TAS6. Only yeah, reason. the new the new printer I'm working on, I, I've got some some of those, uh, the fancy CHT nozzles uh, set okay. aside for it. One of them is a 1.8, which I'm very excited about. I mean, that's just going to suck up filament. But yeah, so I printed it on that. That was like a test after I had massively upgraded that printer. Um, I mean, literally replaced everything, but pretty much the frame and the bed. Well, I mean, Um, a bed slinger that large is, yeah. Yeah, that was was the whole thing. I've got a buddy that has a CR10S5. And he's like, can you quote me this print? I said, no, I can't print it in one piece. Oh, my CR10S5 can do it. I said, so why are you asking me to do it? Yeah. oh well the bed's not level and i can't get a piece of glass that big that's flat and then it takes 20 minutes to heat up and i get warping i said okay so why don't you just cut it up well i guess i never thought about that i'm like okay all right yeah cut it up and if you want me to run it on the farm i can have it done for you in like 12 hours yeah it's a nine and a half day print on a cr10 s5 and with the amount of printers we have it's a 12 hour job yeah that's we just completed yeah, if you, if... 300 hours 307 hours of printing oh in a day and a half that checks out yeah see it's, <laughs> it's the wonder of parallelization yep now uh... i have a lot of spools of white filament that are partially open <laughs> i have nine spools that oh my god yeah open like white filament <laughs> That that is a whole thing, and I I always end up with like spools that have you know fifty a hundred grams of filament left, and it's one of the reasons why like I when uh, Printed Solid came out with their two point three kilogram spools, I jumped on those because I I'll use a lot of PLA for stuff. Yeah. Um. For a lot a lot of the times my minis are just loaded with a two and two point three kilogram spool all the time. Because then, you know, if I get down to 50 grams on that, I don't care as much because right. I'm not like wasting it on a bunch of spools. Um, yeah, I print with those a lot because I, I hate having that little bit left at the end. And I also like, I don't really, I mean, you can see on my, my shelf up here, there's a yellow roll and a blue roll. And I think those are the only colors I have currently that aren't black or orange. That's fair. I just I mean, always it's... print with the same colors because I also, I don't print for people generally. And, yeah. Or if I do, the answer is, well, you can have it in any color you want as long as it's orange or black. Ah, the Henry Ford method, yes. You know, it, it's just, hilariously, I've got a bunch of colors because a lot of mm-hmm. my buy for myself. Most people mm-hmm. want gray, black, white, red, and that's it. Like, I've got, like, the, the parts that are on the blue right there, I have had that spool of blue PETG for, like, two and a half years. Oh, jeez. It's wet. But whatever, it, it's it, they're little um, 
I have to had a last minute uh, thing to come do a talk on Sunday. So they're takeaways for everybody at the convention that I'm going to. It's a very, very like intimate thing. It's 30 people. Nice. So I'll make 30 little tags and give them away. Um, so people can have something in hand with 3D printing. But I can make 30 yeah. tags on one machine in 12 hours. Two separate prints. because I can only See, I find that prints. funny being in the, in the laser world. I'm like, 12 hours, 30 tags. That's like a 10-minute job. I don't I know. know what you're talking about. Look, and I can easily do that on the laser. Like, Bob's your auntie. I'm, I'm done in like 30 minutes. Um, to, yeah. I, can, I can only scan at 375 or below. If I go above 375 millimeters a second, the machine really starts to resonate. The resonation you see, and this does not have I, I, my new business cards don't have my personal cell phone number on them anymore, so I can show them. I accidentally leaked my personal cell phone number a couple of times. Oops. But if you guys look at the 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 flat line on it, you'll see some waving. That's at oh, 375. Yeah. Oh geez. If I go any faster than that, it starts to skip steps because it's resonating so badly. That's no good. Yeah, it's a black and red, you know, generic just eBay generic user. clone. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? That's fair. The average person, one, if they notice it, thinks it's deliberate, so that's fine. Or then two, doesn't notice it at all. The old cards yeah. were were just straight wood. We found that the white painted wood that you could buy it's cheaper than the plywood. Uh, mm -hmm. Ends up actually being a better scenario, but yeah, yeah, it's like one of the big problems with these cheap lasers. I think everything is as tight as I can get it, and the machine is still loose. <laughs> yeah, that that is a real thing. I mean, they're built to a cost, and there's there's something that you're going to be missing out with on that. Like one of the earliest lasers I had, one of the one of the best things I ever did for it was to replace all of the mirror mounts with genuine Thor Labs uh, mirror mounts because I should have done. That. I would have it be in alignment one day, and the next day it would be completely out of alignment. This is Florida. It's in my garage. Literal thermal expansion becomes a problem. Right. So finally, when I switched to like some proper mounts, now I admit they're not cheap, but in the grand scheme of things for that laser, they weren't that expensive. I think it was like $120 for a set of three mounts or something. Oh God, is it that um, cheap? Shit. I don't remember. I really should may be doing something may like this. Maybe, maybe it was 150 I don't know. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that, that bad. It wasn't that bad. Compared to the cost of a large laser... You know, it's better than buying a new one and like that helped a lot with maintaining focus or maintaining you know alignment um and like the two lasers the two large co2 lasers that i have now obviously have like i, I don't they're not you know for labs brand or whatever but they're nicer than just you know like the sheet metal bent pieces yeah. that well, I'm, that I'm, kind of thing they're actually milled i'm at the point where my tube is getting old mm. it's five years old five years old it still it's cuts kind of old for laser yeah but yeah i mean when i first got it we could cut through eighth inch at like 25 27 millimeter seconds and 80 watt tube um mm -hmm. now i'm down to 14 um you know so we, we've lost basically 50 percent of the power of the laser and i'm like it's gonna if i'm gonna get a tube i'm getting a yeah. tube with the damn inline red dot because Oh my God, is that going to make aligning so much easier? Those are actually hard to find. The, the funny thing makes is... them. Okay, so maybe not. Last I looked, it was only SPT and they were really expensive. Um, they are. They're like an extra $150. Okay, but... that's not terrible. But no, that's, that's worth it for that. Because both of my machines, which are nice machines, are beam combiners. 
and beam combiners you lose what 10 15 percent of power in the beam combiner alone probably yeah, yeah. And, lose... and then you have to even if your red dots aligned that doesn't necessarily mean that the lasers aligned because yeah this is yeah. like on i'm assuming it is some style of a beam combiner but it's built into the tube it, it's physically in the tube and it's factor yeah. calibrated to be straight yeah but, I, I get that and i'm at this point of all right i could put a 400 dollars tube into this laser but why don't i just buy another laser put a cheap ass tube in the cheap ass laser and get a good laser to start because like this one had the the red dot at the angle right by the head right, i replaced right. it with the with the x with with, with the two line lasers and right. I accidentally printed it all in PLA and the laser came out of alignment and the PLA melted during a print one uh, during a, a cut one time. And I ripped it off and I've never put it back on because I just cut I cut my own jig for the laser of where everything burns. And yep. it, there are yep. so many things I'm like, all right, I wish it had this. I wish it had good lighting system. I wish I could put a camera in it. I wish it had autofocus. All these things that this laser doesn't have that would make my life a lot easier. If I had a camera, I could just watch it here not to stand out there with a fire extinguisher praying that it doesn't catch fire as an great. employee of Lightburn, i'm pretty sure that i'm required to tell you that we don't recommend remote use of the laser cutter but i well yeah i run it with a usb drive and i go out there and i sit and i wait for it to finish so yes i'm not in here while it's doing its thing i yeah it's it's not remote like that it is untethered operation oh okay okay yeah right it, it's like I, I thought you were talking about like yeah literally viewing it remotely if um, I had a camera, I mean, yeah, I probably would just do that. And I could stick yeah. I, I could stick a wise cam on the inside of it that I could then hook up to a smart plug. So if it did for some reason start to go up, I can turn it off while I grab a fire extinguisher. It is literally 10 feet away from me. It's not that far. Okay, that's that's fair. That's not yeah. too bad. Like we, We've definitely heard some horror stories of people that like, you know, their laser was on fire for six minutes before anyone noticed. I had one. It was a client call. It was the first time one of our engineers talked to a client without me. Because I said, I am literally putting out a fire in my laser right now. You're going to have to deal with the client. And that's when I found out I have a very charismatic engineer. And the client's like, can we just work with him from now on? You talk too damn much. That's great. I'm like, but yeah, that's but you, you pay me by the hour. It's good that I talk a lot. Nice. And that's when I stopped yeah. charging people for phone calls. Uh, unless they're like egregiously long. But yeah, right. I, I, I want lasers to become a little bit easier to use. And I think Lightburn solved 95% of those problems. And I think the rest of it is I was a cheap ass and didn't get, you know, the $50,000 laser. I bought, I think it was $2,800 when I bought it. I had to buy a separate chiller for it. It came yeah. with that big centrifugal fan that draws 800 watts. Cucked that thing and bought a fan for a grow house. We'll never look back. Um, even um i think thunder has now they've switched from the centrifugal fans to that style of blower i just need because to every everyone wave. was just throwing it out i threw mine out i still have mine because i'm like i want to make a wacky wave inflatable arm flailing tube man with it because i think Obviously. that's about the only valid use for one of those is to be yeah. you know one of those but things like okay it only sucks out fumes from one side of the laser it doesn't suck it from the bottom it's from the it's from one side why does it not have multiple outlets that I can somehow control? The so I'm trying to think. Yeah, some of them they end up being on the side, which always sucks. Yep, and it has yeah. like grates on the top and the bottom. Right. So my thunder laser 
it's in the back and the middle. So it's at least yep. better than nothing. It's pulling it towards the back. Yep. The Aeon is the best that I've seen because it's, it's, it's through the bed and it's sealed. Like the whole machine is sealed. Um, the only bummer about that is if cool. you're engraving, I, I at least from my experience, it doesn't pull it out as fast as one from like the side or from the back on its own. If that makes right. sense. Well, and actually like the Aeon that I have has a built-in blower and I have it also hooked up to the blower that I had for the Thunder. And I always turn them both on just extra boost of power for yep. it the um, best upgrade we ever did was installing a y connector on yeah. the outlet so i could draw air through the chiller so that the chiller wouldn't heat soak my garage it would be 115 degrees in that garage you know the oh, tube is sweating Right, because at yeah. that point, we're, we're, we chill to 17C, so we chill below ambient, so the tube is sweating. I've had yeah. multiple times where the tube arcs to the case, because it's what's going to happen, right? Oh my god. It's now uh, flex seal, hilariously. Nice. It's rubber. It's rubberized, and it yeah. insulates. That would work. I don't it, have that problem. It's We don't have quite the humidity here, but... Yeah. That's uh, why I love lasering the- in, in the winter, because it doesn't... The, See, but I have the problem of lasering in the winter where the... the, (laughs) It freezes. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm in North Carolina, so like it's rare that it would freeze. I do have a heater out there just in case. It's one of those little radiant like oil heaters, uh, 1500 watt things, which is enough. But And and my garage is insulated at this point. Yeah. But the funny thing of it is, is if I'm in there and I've gotten it up to a comfortable temperature, the, the blower fan I have will do like 1200 cubic feet per minute. Well, my garage not is sealed. A, it's not sealed, <laughs> and it's about four thousand cubic feet. So within four minutes, <laughs> I have lost all, your all of the warm air. Yep. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. You know, we we considered and see. This is how bad it got before I figured out. Wait a minute, I can just pipe in the the chiller. I considered making a cool shirt that I would plumb in line with the laser so that I could be out there and not get heat stroke. Not die. Yeah. Cause it, it got like to the point of, I'm not running this laser anymore. It will run at two o'clock in the morning. And that is it. And two o'clock right. in the morning in the summer in Florida is like still 28, 27. It is December 11th. It is 83 degrees or 28 degrees centigrade outside right now now oh my god so i can't if i run the laser right now it's gonna sweat oh jesus yeah things it's, you it's, don't think about <laughs> yeah no i would not have thought i mean because it gets pretty hot here yeah so but I, not quite as humid i want lasers that are more electrically isolated so that they don't ground themselves out i want built-in power meters i made my own power meter so you know i've got the analog and i've got the digital mine has one but it's on the power supply inside the laser in the back. Well, how useful is that? It's not. Yeah. I don't know why. It's a nice little LCD display, but it doesn't tell you. So the funny thing is like, you know, you're talking about wanting lasers to be more accessible. Yeah. And I'm having honestly trouble seeing a path towards getting laser cutting being to the point that, and I'm not talking about laser engraving with those stupid diodes that you're going to burn your eyes right. out with. Like CO2 cutting through cutting, laser. I don't see it anytime soon getting to the point that 3D printers are at today where you can pick something up for 
sub a thousand dollars and i know that 3d printers are even cheaper than that these days yeah but i feel like that below a thousand dollars is the point where it really starts to get into someone who's just a hobbyist at least considering it and above that you're probably not going to unless you're a real real enthusiast because like yeah everyone's probably going to scream but the glowforge which costs how much again 3500 i think and look they're not a bad, uh, and see the, 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 here, here comes, you know, the business owner, right? If Glowforge had existed when I was getting into laser cutting, I firmly believe I would have spent the extra money because the entire system is integrated and the system is integrated to a point where it is so, ex- it's the Apple system. It is unbelievably expensive, but it freaking works, right? Their cameras can read the QR codes. It knows the settings it needs and all of those things. The one thing we haven't seen yet or at least I haven't seen a ton of, is what happens when the Glowforge tube dies? I'm pretty sure you have to get a new Glowforge. I don't think they've replaced the tubes. Um, yeah, I haven't heard of that. Like, also as I, a content creator, like, hey, Glowforge, hit me up, right? I mean, look, I'd love another yeah, laser. I, one of the issues that I have with the Glowforge, we've had some people come over to Lightburn from Glowforges, and they've gotten, like, rooted machines. Yeah. And they'll say, well, how do I convert my settings from Glowforge to really can't light burn can you? stuff you can um after so a bunch of reverse engineering work at it um sort of the problem of it is that be like we would say like well what power are you running at and they'd be like you know 80 was that 80 percent 80 yep what speed are you running at 500 okay what units Mm. probably millimeters a minute i would assume but it's not oh geez what is it i don't i don't remember off the top of my head i actually ended up through a bunch of research on their website and then like some details i got from some various things ended up making a spreadsheet that could convert them um and yeah it's just like some weird internal units and the fun thing is it's not linear oh of course it's not why would it be linear yeah Yeah. there's a glowforge user like five or six blocks away. I only found this out because I was going yard sailing and they had a bunch of laser cut stuff for the yard sale. I'm like, oh, no, nice. you have a laser, don't you? And uh, she's got a Glowforge Pro. She can't run mm-hmm. it in the summer. They don't have chillers. It can't get cold <sighs> oh, it's, enough it's just in the summer. It's air-cooled. It's yeah. air-cooled. It can't get cold enough in the summer. She said, so I have to predict what my sales will be in the summer in the winter. So and yeah, you, you can't even hook it up to a chiller. Like yeah. the best thing you can do is like you have to stick an AC unit close to it. Well, she she was going to cut the lines. What they end up doing is putting a bunch of fans on it so they can try to sub-ambient cool it by using like swamp cooling and all that kind of thing. But I said, look, go look at like a boss laser or something that, you know, and I, I boss lasers are just quickies or G-Wicks, right? They're just rebranded. Yeah. Uh, but boss has all of a sudden not been very uh, quiet about that anymore. They're now like talking that they do this. Oh, that's um, weird. Yeah. Like Whatever. I called the salespeople and asked about it, and They're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what we do. I'm like, you're going to tell me that easy. That's what you do. Well, yeah. If you already know the company, why would you buy from us? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, can't blame me for being honest. That's odd. Yeah. I, I And I get the whole, like with Glowforge, the whole sort of, closed ecosystem it just works i mean mind you i'm, I'm not an apple user and it's kind of for that reason 
um i Same. like to be able to yeah that's that's fine i like to be able to dig into yep whatever i've got and luck it. with it but i get that like for some people they talking in millimeters per second they don't I don't know what that means or what percentage of the tube power is or yep. any of that. And that's fine. Mind you, we try to make that as easy as possible in Lightburn. And the funny thing of it is Lightburn kind of exists because of Glowforge. Really? <laughs> Jason had ordered one and then he found out that the software was web only. No kidding. And was like, nah, screw that. Yeah. I, and it's like, it's, it's, I always laugh at like what, what got our channel started? Cricket cricket making a video about cricket screwing their user base and now all of a sudden we are at like 26 almost 3,000 subscribers like 2960 as of this morning um you know and it was it's since march and i love this entire drive but there's so many things that like i want to do more laser content i want to i want to do like all right let's replace a laser tube like Mm -hmm. i want to make filament storage a buddy of mine showed me some ikea carts that hold filament okay then another, and that was uh, Ben, um, now works over at Railcore, and uh, Jordan Mad Monkey built some custom. I'm like, oh, I would love to do that, something similar. I want to film it because I can turn that into a video. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can't do any of that because it weighs more than I can lift. And it's like ah, it's, it's like I I am itching to get. Back. I think the the back injury while terrible has like given me a newfound love for making because i've had to find ways around the injury to get to making and the laser has been one of those things like all right i can cut this out quick yeah and be able to have something in hand i want to do a big led sign for the for the youtube channel to where patrons can webhook control it during live streams because that's dangerous why it's just no like WLED sign, not like you oh, know, okay. a television. Because <laughs> Wexter's in, in in the damn chat right now, and I know he'd be the one that that, that puts phalluses in the background. Love you, mm-hmm. Wexter, but you're dangerous yeah. for live streams. <laughs> yep, yep. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, when you have stuff where like people send messages to this LED display via Twitter, it's like, you sure you want to? Well, do you that? know, you know what those are going to be. <laughs> you sure you want to do that? <laughs> Real quick. But uh, it it, it, yeah. it is interesting to watch this industry grow. And, you know, the, the 3D printing, the making industry in general, I mean, geez, we both kind of started at the same time. You had a little bit more experience learning. I threw myself into it. You you worked your way into it. And, yeah. uh, I mean, geez, could you imagine that we would be here today where we were 10 years ago? Not even remotely. I mean, I, I'm still kind of surprised with the stuff that I've done, like, like with the stuff that I've gotten to do and the stuff that I, you know, I'm working on now and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, hell, I, I can trace working at Lightburn directly back to going to Barry and Maker Fair in 2018. Like it's a direct line of really strange events that have happened in my life. Yeah. To get me to that point. Um, part of that includes being at a Korean karaoke bar at two in the morning. Korean karaoke bar, two o'clock in the morning. Hey, Amber, with, we need to find Korean karaoke bars. <laughs> right in in New York in, in New York City with with Drew Fistini from OSH Park. There's no um, such thing that exists in my area. There's no Korean karaoke I'm bars. Sure. Well, it, it's I've always I've always said to people like with stuff like that is you know when you go to like maker fairs or conventions and stuff, 
always go to the after party. Yeah. Find out what it is. Always go because that's where the real stuff happens of, you know, networking and whatnot. And that has definitely gotten me into a lot of weird things. But even even like aside from that, like, you know, I I think I said in the, the, the bio thing I sent you, like one of the things I was earlier known for in the open source software world was writing a Pandora radio desktop client. And I just wrote it for fun and partly to learn some new technology at the time. Right. Um, I think it was like WPF for .NET, like C-sharp stuff, because it was what I was using at work. And I okay. wanted something to learn, to learn it with that wasn't business software, something mm. that was a little bit more interesting. And um, I wrote that. And like, I've had weird times where like, I went and worked at Red Hat and I got talking to someone and we got talking about you know, music services and stuff. I mean, Pandora, I don't think it's really nearly as relevant as it used to be, but at the no. time it was one of the big things. And they were like, yeah, did you, did you ever use that uh, Windows Pandora client called Elpis? I was like, yes, I wrote it. Those are weird situations <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, like people will meet you and then ask you about something that you did. Why do you know about this? Elpis is on this computer. You're fucking kidding me. I am not. Nope. This com what? so I originally this computer was originally built in 2014. Oh, in the past six months, no, past three months, it went from a 4770K, which is sitting uh -huh. over there with its okay. motherboard. Now it's a 10400K or 10400, and now it's going to go up to a 10700K because I got this for 150 bucks, and you absolutely do that for 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah, but sure. The hard drives. You while, just transferred. Uh, yeah, I just moved all the data. Elpis is still on this computer. Oh, my God. Is there a way I for don't me know... to figure out what version it is? I mean, it's probably whatever the last one was, which is two point something. I don't know. It hasn't been updated in years, <laughs> and I think it finally stopped working. I, I, when this stream is over i'm gonna try it i'm gonna let you, you know have to go check works. and let me know yeah. um i haven't it's one of those where like i kind of abandoned the project a long time ago i tried to get someone else to take it over because and i joke i joke with friends of mine like the worst thing to happen to me would be to be overly known for something because i don't want to be stuck being like well no that's the guy that does this and only that yeah i'm the 3d printing guy and the guy that yells into his microphone right that's what i'm known for now <laughs> Right. Whereas with me, it's like, I'm very much the type where I'm like, cool, I learned that. What next? Yeah, we and were working I, on the thumbnail move on to the new thing. and we're like, what the hell do we put on there? I said, I don't know. Maker extraordinaire because I don't really know anything other. Like, I don't know what else to put on his thumbnail. <laughs> yeah, I, I very much, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I, I do a lot of stuff, but like, um, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, with Elpis. So originally when that started, uh, it was semi-based on a Linux, like Python command line version. I, I got, I figured out the, the API from that. And the original ones, they used the web API back when Pandora was a flash player. So this is how far back it yep. goes. Um, I was using Elpis in like college. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> um So the reason I wrote it was the flash player would use like 500 megs of RAM. But computers only had like four gigs if you were lucky. Right. I mean, I got 64 gigs now, but I definitely did not in 2008, 2009. And there's a 32 yep. gig kit that I'm going to add to this computer when I do the processor yeah. upgrade. It's ridiculous. So I wrote Elpis and it only used like 20 or 30. 
which is great. Um, you know, it's very, very lightweight. And, but we use the web API. And the funny thing is, was Pandora refused to acknowledge that we existed, both my client and the Linux one. Mm -hmm. But they would constantly break it. And they could because we were using the web API. And the only thing that was supposed to be using the web API was their Flash player. So all they had to do was change the API and you're no, refresh and the page no and worked. you're good to go. And it no longer worked. Yep. And it finally got to the point where um, one day they broke it and we could not figure out how to fix it. And I don't remember what the exact details of it were, but we could not figure out how to fix it. Okay. And I started talking to the guy that had been working on the Linux client and we sort of had a little bit of back and forth on that. We weren't like overly collaborating, but we were kind of sharing notes on what the API stuff was. And eventually the way that we solved it was we got a APK from the Android Pandora radio client and disassembled it and sort of, and, and did traffic captures on that on on it running in an emulator on windows and linux to figure out what the traffic was and the beauty of it was is that android devices and iphones were using the embedded device api which is a completely different api and it was the same one that they used for stereos huh. which means they can't change it right because it would so once all the stereos right so once we reverse engineered it it had worked it's worked for like six seven eight years i don't know how long at this point and i think i finally had someone email me and they're like hey i don't think it works anymore is there any chance you can fix it and it's just it's not on my radar anymore of things right. to work on but like it worked for i mean literally like four or five years without me even actively maintaining the project all about like this this is the embodiment of making awesome like all right how do we do this so they can't screw with us again how do we do <laughs> yeah. that I just love that I'm like, I'm pretty certain Elpis is on this computer. Let me see. And that, yep, when you have hard drives dating back to 2014, they are not the same hard drives dating back to 2014. Yeah, but the, the data. Yeah, yeah the data is the same. And I, th I think at one point, I mean, last I looked, I think I had 150,000 installs or something like that. Because it would, it would, uh, it would hit a, like a, a web uh, link that would literally just send it a, Hey, I got another install. No data. Just, right. I got another install. Yeah, you, you were chasing numbers. Ain't no one going to blame you there. Right. Um, so I ran that and I think it got up to like 150,000. It was, it was on life hacker. It was featured on, you know, a couple of things that was like PC magazine and stuff like that. The funny thing was when I launched it, it was out for a couple of months and then life hacker picked it up. And that weekend when I happened to be out of town, they picked it up. It got a shit ton of downloads and Pandora broke it. Cause this was before we went to the new API. Right. And it was, <laughs> I had all these like bug reports, like hundreds of people installing it, all these bug reports. It doesn't work. Like, I know I'll, I'll be home soon and then I'll fix it. And that's, still, but, that's, that's an achievement, right? I think a lot of us makers, our achievement is what hack a day, make magazine, maybe something on like medium or make zine right that's and you got picked up with this program that's pretty awesome i, I will i will mention one thing because you mentioned hackaday i think a lot of people seem to think that the only way that stuff gets picked up on hackaday is 
someone at Hackaday happens to see it because it went viral or got picked up by other people. Right. And I was talking to, They're you know, aggregator. our, what? They're yeah, an aggregator, like yeah. Right. And, and I get that. And that's fine. But I was talking to um, our, our good friend, Joe Spainer. Yep. Spainer. Um, a while back. And I had mentioned something about, well, one of the projects I was on was on Hackaday. And he was like, what the fuck, man? How did you get your shit on Hackaday? I've wanted to get something on Hackaday forever. And I was like, and he's like, well, that's cool, though. You finally got something on Hackaday. I was like, finally? It's like, what? I was like, and I sent him a link to the various things that I had had on there. It's like, how? I sent it to them. Yeah, I, I there's a tips at hackaday.com. I emailed them. Hey, I worked on this thing. I think it's cool. Maybe you'll think it's cool. I got to do that. Usually post about it more often. Yeah, it's it's fun. The the best interaction I've ever had on Hackaday was for the Bixel, and they picked it up. They posted an article about it, and the first comment, and I should always remember to never read the fucking comments the first comment was a guy going well that's not that impressive mine's bigger basically and he posted this video youtube video link which I actually happened to check the other day is now since gone um and it was like a wall display and i'm pretty sure it was made out of like old tupperware containers and like, yeah, it was interactive. You could you could push on them and they would they would do things. And he's like, I built it for Burning Man or whatever. But I mean, it was literally less than 30 second video and bitching about it. And the thing that Hackaday had linked to was I used to do like long, like 10, 15,000 word write-ups. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm not the type where I will do like do those like videos or something as I'm doing them. I'll just get the project done. Right. And then I'll, I'll write it up. All the stuff I did. I'm on the it. same way. And they had linked to that. And I had used, or as I mentioned, a Teensy in it. Okay. So apparently the fact that Teensy was mentioned summoned the great Paul St- something whose last name I can't pronounce. The guy that makes Teensy, Stenokrin or something. Nope. Anyways, it kind of ended up summoning him on onto the Hackaday comment section. And he just smacked that guy into the ground. Beautiful. Makes me happy whenever that happens, right? Was basically just like, what the hell are you talking about? You have a 20 second video. He's got a 10,000 word write up and a, you know, and a relatively long, you know, detailed video about it. Like, stop complaining. This happened in one of our recent videos where we looked at the Wham Bam Mutant and someone said, oh, well, this mm. is better. And, uh, I just left it alone. I'm like, I'm not touching this. You know, I, I, I got the mutant for review. Like, I have to say unbiased. <laughs> Wham, bam, what in the comments? <laughs> and they, there's like three or four comments of why theirs was better with like, That's you know, data, like actual data. And I just, I just hearted all of them. I'm like, yep, you know what? I'm, that's all you can that, do. That's all I got, right? They were there to defend their own honor, right? <sighs> yeah, I, I really should always stop not read the comments because there's there's always so much either vitriol or someone who thinks that they know better and our comments are reasonably tame i mean there's only a few times i've had to like you know all right i'm gonna delete these comments now because they're not all that nice quite frankly the only time i've gotten like kind of you know not the nice comments is like calling amber short in the videos (laughs) so in one of the videos we put her on a box (laughs) 
So she was as tall as me, and then we had her step down. Like we we were, you know, poking fun back. But we we, yeah. have, a, we have a good group of people here, and that's what I do love about the make the making industry. There are mm -hmm. assholes. There are gonna be assholes in every community for any reason at all. But there's also yep. really good people out there, and you know, Adam, you are absolutely one of those people. I mean, we've been talking for well over two hours, so thank you, sir. Yeah, thank I you. appreciate it. Is there any any final thing you want to talk about, or you wanna you wanna call this one? Uh, I think we can we can call it. There's it's probably nothing else. Awesome. Do you know my outro? I, I, see, I now, don't. Now is when I get to see. Do they watch my videos? <laughs> I have, but I don't remember. I watch so much stuff, man. It's all good, dude. I just I just like poking fun at people. Uh, guys, go give Adams site some love go follow him on social media we got links to all of his stuff down in that description down below make sure you leave a like subscribe if you haven't all those things do for the creators that you love and if you don't love us you've watched this far you sure you don't love us <laughs> anyways stay safe out there don't forget to call your loved ones and as always keep making awesome have a good one